What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk Footnotes. I am one of your hosts, Damien Abraham, and your other host is my friend and your friend, Chris O'Toole. Chris, how you doing, bud? <laughs> Good. How's it going, man? I am ready for some footnotes. Oh, oh yeah. Monday night footnotes, or whatever night you're listening to this, footnotes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's been, uh, you know, a pretty crazy hectic week but i'm sure much for yourself too i would imagine yeah maybe not so much as you i suppose but yeah you know always busy uh yeah, yeah I, I don't know my maybe my mine's just been sick kids yeah <laughs> yeah i just i g- always give you the uh the dadly way so <laughs> yeah. you can you can take out go in whatever direction you want with that yeah okay i'll like i'll just leave it at that for now but yeah sick kids so but everything's everything's awesome um, but I am exhausted. Uh, and, and on to today's show with that boost in energy at the top. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess starting off with some news from Turned Out of Punk World, there is a new Turned Out of Punk thing to look at the stuff we post, mainly from this show, right? Yeah. So far, so far, it seems to be, yeah. It's a lot of, uh, anyway, you say what it is and we'll, it is. One. Turnedoutapunk.tumblr.com, and it's now a Tumblr that we're going to be sticking up, like the photos and flyers and various other things we get sent into the show. Yes. Uh, and that way, I think it's easier, from my understanding, to navigate than the Facebook when you're going through old episodes. So if you're listening to old episodes and you're like, oh, man, I wish I knew what they were talking about. I wish I could see what they were talking about, I should say. Now you can turnedoutapunk.tumblr.com. So one more thing to annoyingly plug on the show. <laughs> it should at least, I, I, to your point, it should at least be a little bit more of a, I don't know what, a consistent way to throw up some of the image-related yeah, things to talk about. That's all. Yeah, and there's, there's still the Facebook page, but that's very time-sensitive um, from my understanding. Uh, so on to what proves to be a very full mailbag this week. <laughs> yes, every week, and we're thankful for that. Um, I guess, do you want to start it off? Yeah, I'll start it off since this one, I, I anyway, it's amusing for a different sort of thing I'll explain. But um, David up emailed in again, great, great, uh, great listener, great fan of the show, previous guest. Um, but he had uh, recounted a story about playing, Teradite playing with this band, Harem Scarum, 
which we talked about last episode. And uh, I was particularly amused by this because there was a band called Harem Scarum that I was aware of that was like a 80s sort of glam metal band, like a hair metal band. And, uh, and so that's who I assumed he was talking about. And I thought the story was so bizarre because it was this person inquiring about his, uh, I think it was a blast t-shirt, oh, a black flag t-shirt or some, anyway, some t-shirt. A blast t-shirt, t-shirt yeah. A blast, something like that. But regardless, I thought, okay, well, that's neat that this person from, you know, some, some like whatever hard rock metal band was in, into that. That's kind of cool. But I thought, how weird is it that Tear It Up played with Harem Scarum? Like, that's such a weird, like, random event. Like, I just never thought that would happen. And so he had forwarded the flyer, and uh, little did he know that it was a different – well, he didn't know, but to me when I saw it, it's actually a different harem scarum. I wasn't aware that there was two uh, at least. But uh, the one on the flyer is described as an all-female crust punk band on Tribal War from Portland. They're billed at whatever year this was. This must have been probably guessing late 90s, maybe 2000. Yeah, there's, there's also two metal bands called harem scarum. There's like okay. – according to the uh, Encyclopedia uh, Metallium which is a, an amazing resource if for looking up about information about metal. Uh, but there's a harem scarum from California, which I think is the same one I was thinking of the glam glammy kind of one. Yeah. Uh, they describe them as thrash metal though here, progressive speed or thrash metal. Maybe they, I don't know. Maybe they eventually, I just remember there was a group at the height of that sort of hair metal thing that was called harem scarum, but maybe they just transitioned. I don't really know in terms of like, you know, putting out like a ballady whatever to suit the growing uh hair metal thing i don't really know but there's also a prog rock band called harem scarum according to this too but maybe there's another one yeah either way the point is (laughs) that i was in my mind i could not fathom how tear it up and this band had played together it didn't make sense to me and as as we now know it's because there's another hair scarum yes (laughs) <laughs> uh, so anyway, I just thought that was amusing, but, uh, yeah, that was the email from Dave. Thanks for, uh, corresponding as per usual. And what do we got next? Uh, next up, it's another regular contributor, Dave Martin with just a correction. Awesome. Allison was, uh, from awesome color. I thought maybe I said that, but maybe I'm wrong. So thank you, Dave, for correcting me. Awesome. Dave from New York. <laughs> yes, it was in regards Pittsburgh to the demolished, yeah, like the demolished thoughts. <laughs> we were talking like, about demolished thoughts, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was awesome. Allison from awesome color. There you go. So the next one here, uh, we can, I guess, both get into depending on where you want to go with this, but, um, it's in regards to the alternative tentacles, uh, subject from the previous week. Uh, two bands, uh, that are Norwegian correspondent, uh, wanted to highlight that we did not touch on. One was Alice Donut. And the other was False Prophets, which we didn't go into in depth. But you had a little anecdote about Alice Donut, which I found amusing because I've never really gotten into them. I thought we talked about this before on the show, but we haven't? I don't know. I don't believe so. Not those bands. Okay. Alice Donut was one of the first shows that I went to. I I brought two other friends with me. Someone stepped in front of us and spat on the lead singer of Alice Donut. And he jumped (laughs) in the crowd and, and like – tried to pound this dude and uh he landed on me and my friends <laughs> i never i've never heard that one yeah that wasn't even what i was talking about it was just what we were just discussing before well here's the thing and then i went backstage after their set i was like man you guys are great to their guitar player and i'm like what's your best record 
which now that I play in a band, when someone asks you that, it's like, holy, f- uh, what? Like, <laughs> uh, I don't know this one. Like, so <laughs> that's basically what he did. Uh, I don't know this one. And he recommended Mule. And I'm going to say like, you know, I can see why we were talking about this. This came up because you were not a fan of Alice Jonah, right, Chris? Well, I'm not. I'm indifferent. I don't yeah, have indifferent. a strong opinion. Yeah. And I like, I can see where that's coming from. Obviously, they hold a special place in my heart because, you know, I saw the lead singer jump on my friends and me uh, <laughs> way back when. But also, there's a song on Mule called Tiny Ugly World that is one of the best ballad songs, in my opinion. Ever, <laughs> maybe not ever, but I love that song so much, and it's kind of like really speaks to the world we're in today. It's a tiny, ugly world when everybody's on stage, <laughs> and you prophesize that, or sorry, you you allege that it prophesizes the social media glut that we have currently. It's a very, it's a very interesting song, and it's like, and it basically speaks to the fact that everyone wants to be. A star and everyone wants their star search moment, but I think that song is so beautiful. I love that song so much. And it's one of my favorite songs, God, for like well over 20 years at this point. Not well over, but just a little over 20 years, I guess, at this point. Yeah. Cool. What about Frost Prophets then on that? This person, so Kel or, or Shell, I can't, the pronunciation I'm terrible with, apologies. But uh, the first LP he highlights of the False, False Prophets. Prophets. I like, I'm like, I love those singles the two singles um you know the lp's cool like good and they're a band that people other people go super deep on and they seem like uh really really awesome and like and they're definitely like you know that era of them in the later period was probably more of the era that i would have heard first yeah but i gotta say i i kind of dig the early seven inches more more than the lp even yeah gotcha yeah. Which is usually, I don't think that's a fairly, I mean, for people who listen to the show, I think that's a fairly common opinion amongst the both of us. I am playing a band where that's probably a fairly common opinion <laughs> amongst a lot of people. I think, I think it's just the, yeah, it's, it's the curse of punk, if you will. I don't know how it is. Say it. it is. Like, with the exception of Poison Idea, in my mind, Chris, at least, very few bands get better. Well, actually, Cal brings up another great band, Neurosis. That's another yes. band that's arguable gets better. Yeah, yeah. The, he highlights some good ones here. He talks about Amoebics, too, even though he claims he doesn't regard them as an alternative tentacles band, and I agree mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. But and, uh, and Neurosis also, as we've talked about. Maybe, yes, exactly. Maybe, maybe not as ne- regarded as an alternative tentacle band. Yeah. I think, well, at one time, maybe they may have been. But yeah. yeah. Certainly, the history has turned out differently. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. He brings up the the records that first false prophets, the Alice Donut Donut comes alive, and I'm guessing that's no means no wrong. I believe. I don't know if I know that record all that well to be honest. Anyway, uh, and he doesn't. He highlights that we mentioned Sex Mad. I know I did, but I did falsely mention it because it is a reissue, and I forgot about that. It wasn't originally on Alternative Tentacles. He says so that, it doesn't count as a reissue. Oh, no, he says it doesn't count as it is a reissue. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, good call. I forgot about that, and that is bang on. I still love that record, though. You know what's an interesting thing to talk about? And and this could be another conversation point that takes forever to get back to what we're in the middle <laughs> of talking. But, like, uh, and this came up also today. I was driving in the car, and Holden is now obsessed with the song New Noise by Refused. Oh, wow. He loves that song. 
right? Why? Okay, so how does that happen? What? How did that? I don't mean from him. I mean, like, how does he hear that? Because I don't picture you listening to that. No, here's what happened. Lauren and I were at the exhibition, and at the X, like the Canadian uh, National Exhibition that we have, the CNE, in, and it's just like a fair type thing, and they have like a giant discount DVD, CD, uh, like crap little area right <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. and it's like it's something like i think it's like 10 at this point to talk about the diminishing value of physical medium uh it's like ten dollars for like i don't know five dvds or something ridiculous. <laughs> okay, so yeah. i went in and i bought epitaph punkorama the uh. dvd right because it's got like a bunch of cool videos and i just put it on one morning as i was getting you know breakfast and lunches ready uh, in the background for the kids to watch. And the song that Holden like just became enamored with was new noise. And then it was like a long time that he hadn't heard it and he just didn't bring it up. And then I don't know where he heard it again. I think it came on maybe the radio or yeah, it could be something like that. And he was just like that song. So now he's just obsessed with that song. But anyway, what I was thinking about, and this is also when we talked about neurosis just now and what I think with poison idea, it's like, Bands, specifically punk bands, that got better into their run. And then, like, you know, obviously there's a point where people, like, go, okay, that's it. What was that point? But, like, bands where it was, like, a rise to get to that sound. So you're referencing Refused in in that argument. Well, because, like, I (laughs) – the other thing that – the reason that prompted – yeah, Refused is why I'm bringing this up. Because what also prompted that in the argument is, like, I was, like, you know – Refuse, it's like they must just play The Shape of Punk to Come still at those sets because are there people going asking for like, play something off the Equal Vision record? <laughs> well, I think what about maybe that Victory Style song. I think maybe the LP before and that one, to be fair. What, but, the Victory run? With yeah, rather I be. Think, I, th- I think yeah. people know that one. I think, but not in the same way. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I don't, you're not, you're not off. <laughs> I, I wouldn't, I just mean if I was actually looking at their whole yeah, catalog, yeah, like yeah. the two, they could play off those two LPs and be, and be fine. But I, you're, you're bang on. They're definitely a late blooming band for me, for sure. Yeah. Like they find their sound and it's like, and it's funny cause now I, it's awesome now that Holden's into him cause I'm like, okay, well, like, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta hear a dagger too, though, right? Like, yeah. like you dagger and like born against and all this stuff. You're like, like you're like this is this is great, Holden, but you yeah. know maybe this piece is where it's at. But. Yeah, like I'm like playing all that stuff too. Like just be like, yeah, put the, put all these pieces together with me, too, buddy. Because like you know it's fun. Like they're such a great band, but then they but they are still the band that like nailed that sound. Like like that's the sound. They like that was like, and that's one of those records where you know like, and it is a divisive record for a lot of people, but like that's yeah. the record that changed music in the punk sphere after it came out. Yeah, I, I agree. I think we've done, we chatted a little bit about that record and records like that. On yeah. The show. But yeah. Yeah. Agreed. But yeah, I think it's, I think more to your point, which I, the interesting aspect of that is the the late blooming band thing. Yeah. Yeah. I always find interesting too. I'm with you. Cause it's rarely my general formula is that, like early is the best, you know, the early, like, like first two sort of in general is my rule of thumb, not necessarily say singles, but maybe up to two LPs perhaps. Mm-hmm. And then I'm kind of, it starts to get a little dicey for a lot of groups for me, but it's, it's rare that like a late 
the late era of a punk band is one that I prefer more than the early, I guess is the most diplomatic way of saying it. Yeah, like I that's the thing, it's like there it's rare, but there are cases, right? Yeah, true. You know, yeah, like, I agree. Uh I would also argue Rock from the Crypt. Yeah, I'd see for me though, that group is one of those groups where it's just there's no there's no let off. It's all solid, which isn't to say the ones that we're highlighting before this, they aren't all solid per se, but I just mean that there's some groups for me that they just don't, it's like poison idea. Like you we've discussed, there's no, yeah, there's, there's points that aren't as great as, you know, feel the darkness or whatever, but they're not at no point. Is it bad or even like, you know, no, it's, never, it's never bad. No, it's never bad. Never so par, yeah. but like that is like, the apex of their sound, right? Like, yeah, it's agreed. Yeah. That's where like, they like hit a, like a, and, and just put out a record that's defining, like, like you, you cannot like that record is untouchable in my mind. Yeah. Uh, and you know, like in the same way that like, you know, it's not, I don't listen to it as often, but the shape of punk to come is like, uh, the, that kind of record, you know, for, for, and, and like, you know, it's a lot of people's favorite record of all time. I like, I like, I actually would refuse like the earlier stuff more, but I can see that their sound is, that's their sound. Yeah. Well, it just seemed like a weird thing to stumble on too at that time. You know what I mean? Like when that came out, it doesn't seem like as big a deal now, but when that came out, it was a big deal because it was, you know, that band was relatively like people, I guess, suppose like you and I had heard of them, but not really. You know, the the claim that they really, you know get after that, and then they I get it's like kind of the whole story. It's like they broke up. Whatever. I don't know why we're talking about refuse song anyway, <laughs> but it's just the whole story. Like they they broke up at the height of that record, which didn't make any sense to most people. Well, no, they didn't even break up at the height of that record because the thing is, when they broke up or before the height, it hadn't really happened. Yeah, yeah, like it's like it was the it was kind of like I think it was I think they broke up. No, they broke up just. I remember Brian Taylor was just getting super in that record, I think. And then they broke up just before they played Toronto. It was like, yeah, they they were supposed to come and I was, I was ready to go to that too. And they, yeah, they were done. And it was Inca weird. Dagger they, opening. Are you kidding me? I was going to be there. It would have been incredible. I wasn't aware though. That's wild. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. But, but I there was know rumors that, that were going to continue on with someone from Inca Dagger playing in that. Huh? Cause, but, but then it just didn't happen. Cause yeah. And they broke up on that. I think it was Frodus they were touring with or whatever, playing like tiny shows across America, I believe. Yeah. 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 But either way, um, yeah, those, those late defining band moments. I don't know. That'd be a good, it's another good little topic. <laughs> I'm sure we'll receive emails about it. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm trying to think of some other ones off the top of my head. I'm like, <sighs> I'm bad right now. My brain just feels like and like, so things, like that's the thing. It's like I neurosis for me. Like those first two neurosis records are like I love those records, but like they were building to something. Like that's things bands that were building to something. Yeah, I think it, not so much in the like the punk sense in the way we're sort of discussing these specific groups. But I think although neurosis, I guess, could be in the same category. Uh, Melvin's we you've discussed. I think Melvin's too. Yeah, I would say um, that Melvin's. Integrity. Yeah, yeah. Integrity is interesting because I think I do like the. Yeah, I'm with you. I think there. The seven inch is like good. The first LP is good, but then it's like the ten inch is like, oh wow. Yeah, true. The the first two LPs are incredible. Like it's just like, but they kind of ran. And I and I love season the size of days. I think I, I put that record higher than a lot of people. Likewise, I love it too. Oh, it's incredible that record. Yeah, agreed. 
Um, so, you know, I, they were another band we could argue, but <laughs> see, we're not even out of like the second email or third nope. email. <laughs> <laughs> second, I think. Yeah. Third. Um, but yeah, so I don't remember what we diverged off. We but, diverged. Uh, we were talking about, uh, neurosis and bands that got better oh, there we go. as yeah, their yeah. catalog went on in, in our opinions. Uh, it's cause you keep bringing up these great, uh, conversation piece topics that we just go off on and then get email and then we talk about it the next week again. Well, I was funny cause like I was talking to Jonah recently from fucked up and, and I was like, yeah, like footnotes is basically just like a, you and me, like Jonah and I conversation on a super long ass drive where these are just <laughs> like things that you'd want to like spend time or waste time kind of thinking about and ranking. That like, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but, you know, speaking of things to waste your time and spend your time doing, there's also in Kel's email, uh, an amazing link from cult nation, which is C V L T nation.com, which is a full America's hardcore live set from 1983, um, which should be, uh, checked out. And I believe that's a site run by Sean who ran rockers, NYC clothing and also, uh, was like basically raised by drew from America's hardcore at a, after a certain point. Oh, cool. I had no idea about any of that. Cool. Yeah. I believe it is if I'm not mistaken, but I might be totally mistaken on that, but this is an amazing post. If you're a fan of America's, yeah, it's totally Sean, Sean Riverson. Um, cool. But he's like, and that's the one I got to reach out to this guy and try and get him on this podcast. Cause he would have insane. Like that's one of the coolest people I've ever met for like connecting worlds of music which is your thing definitely my thing definitely <laughs> early roadie for no effects when no effects is first roadies wow yep and That's also recorded music 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 with tupac <laughs> wow yep that is very interesting and yeah. that 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 that's a that's a wide spectrum right there very very, but this is an amazing <laughs> post if you're a fan of America's Hardcore, or at least if your curiosity about them is uh, piqued by the fact that they come up on this podcast seemingly every three episodes. Uh, <laughs> go over there. There's some cool stuff to look at, flyers, and then this incredible, incredible full live set. Yeah, I just thought that was cool in the email because, as you discussed on the other episodes, they're, they're fairly – like genuinely obscure band. Like people might know the name, but I haven't, I have not heard much and I've always known of the name of the group, but I've never really followed up on any like live sets or bootlegs or anything. So this is good for someone like me for sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I strongly recommend for anyone that is a fan of fast American hardcore. (laughs) Well said. Uh, Speaking of which uh, also in Kelsey, this is like, this is like a one person footnotes. Uh, <laughs> These are all just really good. It's actually kind of a, a sort of a compilation of like a bunch of things he had sent in over the, the last couple of weeks. That's yeah. why it seems like such a beast, but it's awesome because they, uh, over at afrofunk45.tumblr.com, he has found uh, toxic shock, which is a label that came up in the Stephen McBean episode. That is, is a f- amazing label, but it was also a distribution company that uh, a catalog is posted on said Tumblr, afrofunk45.tumblr.com. And you should go through this if you are a fan of this kind of music, being punk, because there's like 
awesome stuff from Happy Squid Records, which is, of course, the label run by the Urinals, uh, and then became the 100 Flowers, but there's, like, some cool stuff they have in there. Gravel Voice Records, which was, like, put out a bunch of Midwest hardcore stuff. And, of course, Gerard Cosloy. Some other news item I forgot to get to at the top of the show. Uh, the label he ran, Homestead Records. But Gerard Cosloy... Uh, is a friend of this show and, of course, a friend of the spinoff podcast that I've been doing, Clobbering Time, the wrestling podcast. And he's the guest <laughs> this week on Clobbering Time. Nice. So, yeah, I forgot to mention that off the top, Chris. Um, now, I'm amazed that you also did not touch on the Big City and the Buy Our Records shout outs. Oh, this. that's way down there. I didn't even get to that yeah. point. Oh, and yeah. Touch and Go. And Touch and Go, yeah. It's got a lot of stuff. And, but either way, it's and very Twin cool. Tone, which some people are excited by. <laughs> but yeah it was neat it's neat to look at if you can uh if you can find that go check it out we'll maybe link that either on the tumblr maybe or whatever yeah that. yeah do you, you tumble someone's tumblr is that how it works i don't know i, I don't know myself that's your brother's uh area of yeah, expertise yeah that's tristan's running that stuff and the facebook page too so thanks tristan tristan that's thank you for doing that because chris and i we would be lost <laughs> <laughs> on the Tumblr thing for sure. <laughs> on the Tumblr thing, definitely. Uh, if you need uh, to find out more regarding Union Carvine Productions, uh, which has been written, this is also from Cal's email. Uh, he says that you should check out Ugly Things issue number sixteen. And Ugly Things, it's an amazing magazine. If you've never picked up an issue of Ugly Things and you're a fan of garage rock music from kind of the sixties, especially and and a little bit later in punk stuff. They cover too. pick up this magazine. It is a labor of love done by Mike stacks. And I doesn't feature it anymore, but it used to feature an unbelievable column about punk rock done by Johan Kugelberg. Uh, someone who comes up on this week's episode. So what year is with this issue of being, do you know, 2003, Okay. Four, so maybe. Over uh, a decade ago, though. Okay. I yeah. wasn't sure how it was. Yeah. They do about one a year, normally, or two a year. Um, cool. And, like, yeah, like, if you find packages of it, pick it up, because it's one of those things that you can read forever. Like, the information, it never goes out of date. Like, this Outsiders, they did, like, a like a like an eight-issue run of the history of that band, and it was, like, painstakingly detailed. I think it was them, and it was, like, where they were moment by moment of their lives. <laughs> nice. They also had like an unbelievable feature on the real kids. Like great. It's a fantastic magazine. Pick it up. And the Johan Kuhlberg lists are the, they're like record collector, like porn to end all record collector porn. Like just, <laughs> he, he did this one records that are worth the money and records that are overvalued. And it was like one of the records, I forget what he said. It's like worth, you know, for going, uh, like one last like dinner with your father or something like it was just like the most insane <laughs> review for a record I'd ever read. <laughs> okay, cool. All right. So is that the end of that monster email? Uh, that is the end of that one. So All let's right. move on to the next email. All right. Uh, the next one here is regarding the live records comps debate or topic, however you want to say. Um, 
listener Wolfgang wrote in, says, the reason Kick Out the Jams counts toward their discography when most live albums don't, and kind of the criteria I've always used, quote-unquote, is that it's an album of original uh, material as opposed to just live versions of previously released songs. That's a good point. That's a really I, good Yeah, point. and I thought that was a great point, too, which mm-hmm. is why I wanted to include it. And then uh, he also mentions uh, the comps I don't believe we've mentioned were the short music for short people, which I know of, but I've never really given it a great amount of time. Oh, you never listened to that thing? I have, but I don't, you know, there's nothing that sticks out in my mind on it. I know, doesn't uh, Spaz or even on that? Well, here's the thing. I've always felt that idea was taken from uh, Slapaham Records. And yeah. Chris Dodge and, and his Bliard comps that he would do, which were those seven inch comps that would have, I think, 60 some odd bands on them. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so I kind of felt that this was maybe not taken from, I should say, but like a, a homage of some sort. And also Chris Dodge worked with Fat Records and worked at Fat Records as talked about way back in the Aaron from Fat Records, owner of Fat Records episode. Um, I think it's around 50. 51 or something yeah which makes more sense now because i remember when even seeing them on this i was kind of surprised at the time yeah and so he worked there but there's like some other cool things trigger happy's on there i believe uh, the other song that sticks out of my mind i think there's an agnostic song don't they do uh oh do they do new york police state on there and i don't think so but they do oh, i can't remember what it is i have to look this up now but the i remember there was some song they do i don't yeah, I can't. It's been a while since I've even thought about this, but yeah, I like the damned on it. DOA, no fun at all. Uh, no effects, of course. Um, seven seconds. Oh, okay, yeah, the no means no is the one off sex mad. Yeah. Um, weird. Poison idea. What's the poison idea on this? I don't remember that at all. Humanity. I do not. So no, that's, an, that's another song. That's an old song, I think. Yeah, this agnostic one song I can't remember either. They have Traitor on here, and I thought I thought there was a cover or something. Uh, anyway, yeah, I, I vaguely remember. I haven't given this again. I haven't given it a great amount of. Uh, my, I, I don't. Are agnostic front on? I can't see them. They are. They're. It's like four or five above the Poison Idea song. Oh yeah, there it is. But Traitor. I thought there was some weird like. That song's so sick. I thought there was some weird, like, uh, like mishmash song, like of members of a few different bands that that was like, I don't know, maybe I'm thinking of another compilation. Anyway, yeah. Black Flags on it too. Yeah, that's I don't remember this at all. I don't remember that stuff being on. Like, I don't remember this No Means No song being on. I love that song, but I don't, uh, I don't know why. I guess I didn't really give this a lot of listening at all. No, it's a good comp. It's definitely a, a really cool comp and would expose you to, you know, like kind of like a range of like a, a pretty good range of like what was happening at that moment in punk. Like they yeah. got pretty much every, not every scene, obviously, but they've got like a lot of stuff hit on here. Yeah, agreed. And, and that's what I think I found. The only thing I remember. Th- feeling strange about it at the time was how they were able well it wasn't strange it was just like they were able to get spaz on there they were able to get like a few things that, and then of course like short songs by chicks dig it or which of course is just on their lp anyway but stuff yeah, like yeah. that just like they 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 seemed to get bands to suit the format or just had stuff off 
records that was already short as hell anyway. But yeah, uh, I don't know how much stuff is exclusive on this or whatever. That's the only thing I can't really remember. There's some stuff, but yeah, it's not like, you know, like a lot of the good songs are from other bands records or were on other bands records yeah. and stuff, but Jugger's Revenge is on it. The poison idea of pop punk. <laughs> yes. Which I believe you, did you coin that on this show? I think, I think that might've been like a me, maybe, I don't know. I've talked about it before and they cover poison idea too. Cool. But yeah. Was maybe it, with Mike. I, I, it might've been a Mike again, thing because Mike and I fell in love with them around the same time. Yeah, cool. Um, when we're like, "Oh shit, this band's incredible." <laughs> I think, I think a lot of people share that moment, at least of our age group, if they stumbled upon that group, because I, I liked them for a minute for sure. I think they're a band that if you went back to after you were into hardcore, you were like, "Oh shit, I definitely undersold this band." Yeah, I, I think that's spot on. Uh-huh. Yeah, I would agree. Definitely, like that's another good example of a, a name. Ultimately, that name really fucked that band because they got sued into oblivion, basically, by the people who make Archie's comics. That's crazy. Yeah, I remember, I think on this show you've talked about that, but okay. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's which sucks and is terrible, but you can now hear all their records for free online. They've thrown them all up and, you know. Uh, but yeah, like, but also, I think it also hindered that band because, you know, Jughead's Revenge isn't that cool of a name. I like it, but like, it doesn't like, you know, it doesn't illustrate what they're going to sound like. Yeah. I think that's accurate. Fair enough. Yeah. They could have, they could have gone for a different name. Sure. Something a little more evil sounding like Reggie's revenge. (laughs) Sure. Reggie's way more evil than Jughead. (laughs) Totally. All right. Next email off that one, because this one's you. You take this one, even though it's directed at both of us. <sighs> okay. Uh, turned out a reader. I hear you often discuss oral history books or compilations of zines, etc. I was hoping to get 10 or so book recommendations of an oral history of North American punk and hardcore. Are there any zine compilations as good as the Touch and Go book? Please include zines beside Conant Bust. Uh, I already have it. I actually only have Touch and Go, Conant Bust, Despite Everything, and Add Toner. Uh, I have American Hardcore and a good collection of Razor Cakes. I went to the Burning Fight Show in Chicago. Is the birth- book worth the buy? I know the style of hardcore is not your jam. It is mine. Went for Threadbare and 108 alone. I, I don't, I don't, I love Threadbare. <laughs> like, come on. It's like my I think, stuff. I think maybe that was more my comment because I would, I would tend to uh, agree. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. Or directed at me. Part okay. Of maybe. Okay. Anyways, please write back. Uh, well, we're, uh, we're going to do it now. We're going to talk about these books now. Yeah. I that's guess. why I was like, I was, we can reply to this, but I thought maybe some off the cuff would be good and it's a, a good sort of thing to discuss anyway. Yeah. Like, uh, oral history, like, okay. Can, Canadian ones. Right off the top, I would say Liz Worth, Treat Me Like Dirt for Toronto. Um, yep, I, I agree. That book's great. Sam Sutherland's book also for like kind of just kind of an overview of all of Canada. It, it kind of hits on all the big notes. I like, I love that book as well. Uh, like, I think I'm trying to think of other. We got the Neutron Bomb for Los Angeles. Yeah, I was going to say that one. That's a good one. The Darby Crash one's also got some amazing stuff in it. Uh, what's that one called? I don't have that one, nor have I read it. I don't. It know was that. Don Bowles, and then at the last second, uh, Brent, uh, Brendan Mullins 
came and helped too, I think, or came and kind of saved the book. Apparently, I don't know the whole story, but you know, he, I think he helped out as well. And it was, yeah, it's a great book. Feral house put it out. So it might be out of print now. I think it's called Lexicon Devil. Lexicon the Devil, fast, yeah. The Fast Times and Short Life of Darby Crash and the Germs. And yes, uh, it was Feral House. Uh, and yeah, I, I know this to see it, but I've not read it. It's fantastic. It's a, cool. it's a good one, too. Um, uh, Cranked Up Really High by Stuart Holm is still my favorite book about punk, though. I've talked about it before, I think, on the show. I haven't read that one either, actually. Um, it's it's amazing. Like I think for for like kind of like he he's a controversial writer uh wrote a lot of like uh, like really ultra violent kind of highly sexualized uh left skinhead fiction novels like left wing skinhead no- fiction novels that are are pretty pretty intense uh but then he also has written about punk and just this book is fantastic like it it on it, like it talks about like a lot of stuff it has a lot of stuff that like a lot of punk books just don't talk about because it's kind of, you know, kind of, kind of a hard one to digest, you know, and that could be record collecting or it could be controversial bands. And he, he kind of goes after it all. And it's, it's huh. a great book. Yeah. I got to read that. I'm sure. Too. It. It's like 190 pages, I think. Wow. Okay, cool. Um, I love that, but I haven't read in a long time, so maybe I should go back and reread it before it's such a glowing recommendation. But I remember being kind of awesome. Uh, zine compilation books, the Slayer Zine. If you're into metals uh, like stuff at all, the Slayer compilation is incredible. Of all those Slayer fanzines that came out back in the day. Yeah, I haven't. I've seen it again. Have not even. I haven't seen it in person. I've seen little pictures online, but. And that does look incredible. Oh, it's awesome. Um, it's amazing. Uh, trying to, oh God, I'm trying to think downstairs what's on the zine shelf. There's a Sonic Youth compilation of all the Sonic Youth zines that they did that Art Metropole put out called Sonic Death that if you ever get a chance to pick up, it's, it's amazing. Cause it, yeah, Damien has, great you have scenes. a lot of books. That's why I wanted to throw this one to you. And that's why, cause there's a lot of stuff that, we mutually have, but there were, I knew there would be things that I had not acquired or read that you definitely have come across. Yeah. And um, then I got to say also, um, Tony Retman's books, uh, like his two, he did one on Midwest hardcore. And then of course, yeah. the New York hardcore book and both are, why be something that you're not is the, is the one from Midwest. yeah the Midwest and then New York hardcore. It's just called NYHC, right? I yeah. Yeah. And I think honestly, the Midwest book to me, I like, I love them both. I, I really enjoyed reading them both. They're like amazing, easy reads. But to me, the Midwest one was more interesting because like, I didn't know a lot. There's a lot more mystery to that scene to me. Yeah. Uh, I've not read that one yet, but I, I definitely, those have both been on my radar. I own the New York hardcore one. I've still yet to read it. It's great. Um, there's like, and that's the thing is like, you know, I'm saying that like I knew everything in that book. There's tons of shit I didn't know that was in that book. Yeah. As far as zine, uh, the ones, the only ones I want to shout out that sort of you haven't touched on, depending on your persuasion. Oh, in town of hardcore. <laughs> well, yes, of course, town of hardcore, uh, which was one of the ones, uh, and of course, that's from our geographical area, yeah, covering yeah. like early to mid two thousands, primarily. Uh, well, earlier than that, but like the contemporary stuff in it is whatever, or early to mid two thousands. Um, the other one is the compilation of Schism uh, zines, mm-hmm. 
that Bridge Nine put out. I don't even know if that's still in print or whatever the hell's happening with that. But um, but yeah, Bridge Nine did a pressing of it that's got all like the whatever the collection of the Schism zines, which is sort of classic New York hardcore stuff that most people are at least vaguely familiar with. Um, another one I guess we should shout out too is a buddy of the show is uh, Radio Silence, which isn't really a zine yeah. collection, but that's a neat little uh, sort of an archivist book, if you will. Um, it's like a it's like a punk aesthetics book. Yeah, it's it's cool. Um, that's a good one. And regarding the Burning Fight, I think Burning Fight is worth the read. I definitely do. I definitely. I was gonna say. And I speak as someone who's not a fan of most of the music, like the, the that's related to a lot of the the people in it. But I did find it very interesting, and uh, I did enjoy it. I'm trying to think of like you know like there's tons more that I'm forgetting about. Oh, oh yeah, we're gonna be horrible. We've mentioned that going underground one. I don't think you'd read that was another one that's sort of the was touted as the sort of the other side of the American hardcore. Yeah, uh, thing. Um, I'm ready yet. I really want to. Re- Actually, that's one I should pick up next. Yeah, um, there's, there's a bunch. I think that's a good start. I don't know any of the glaring ones we're missing right now. I'm sure there's a ton. You oh know. yeah, yeah. Uh, the the John Lydon first book, maybe. Do you know what book I love? The the I can't remember was some something days on the road of the Sex Pistols. That book's amazing. Yeah, uh, it's by their manager or whatever the hell the dude was. Um, the tour manager. Yeah, something like that. It's it's amazing. Um, I'm gonna look it up right now. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah. Anyway, that I think that sort of. Like at least uh, gives a a good overview. It's called the book is called Twelve Days on the Road, uh, the Sex Pistols and America, and it's by Noel Monk and it came out in '92. It's excellent, and I highly recommend it. There's also that new John Doe book that I saw Brian, I believe, from Nightbirds was talking about online. I think it was Brian who was running their Twitter page at the time, and it sounds like it's fucking awesome. Yeah. I have not read that obviously either yet, but uh, that should be interesting. I mean, he's definitely he could have a memoir. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. we are an yeah. hour in basically. I know. Oh God. Okay, let's get through this. Oh, so many mails. <laughs> okay. This next one's funny. You want me to go on it? Yeah, you go on it. You go on it. All right. So uh, it's just subject comments. Daniel D wrote in. Uh, specifically again on this whole, <laughs> I just want to note this person points that it's my, uh, sort of whatever, uh, invested interest in the show by mentioning Hootie and the Blowfish. I just want to clarify that it is not. Maybe but, uh, he's mocking the fact that you seem to not be a fan of this content. I, but I don't keep know. it going. I, if you have more evidence of Hootie and the Blowfish's punk credentials. That's what this is. It says kind of late and he says Hootie and the Blowfish content. We're building like, to a out. Darius Rucker. Turned into punk episode. That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> it says that I don't know how to. Peter Peter Hol, Holzapple uh, of the DBs played with Hootie as a touring keyboardist guitarist in the mid '90s. Whoa, whoa, okay, cool. That gives a okay. We're getting some credence. And also, their 2000s covers album "Scattered, Smothered, and Covered" features not one but two of the '80s. Covers by 80s Texas college rockers, The Reavers. Oh. Uh, not exactly punk, but definitely southern pop slash college wave adjacent. Safe to assume the Blowfish feature at least a couple Tommy Keen fans in their ranks. Scattered also features covers by the Silos, 
contains ex-members of both Florida Power Poppers, the the chi the Chichilds. Yeah, the the, the ch- Chichillas, Chichillas. I've got the single. It's like um. Anyway, put Chichilds, but okay. I, I, maybe it's made of Chichilds. I don't know if it is. I I but I know the band because I can picture yeah. the, the record. Oh wow! And, and great vulgar boatman. And it features Dale Lawrence of the final lineup of the Gizmos in that group. Oh wow! So, so there are lots of. Uh, but that's amazing, and it says like tantalizing evidence of a distant Hootie Gizmos connection. <laughs> which let me tell you, Daniel, you have just blown my fucking mind because that is awesome to think about. That like, there's a possibility that before Hootie and the Blowfish were going to the studio. They're sitting there listening to like an old copy of America first or something, or like being like, okay, this will be, this will be our, this is our psych up music for this record. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And uh, it just gets more bizarre with that whole tale. So I don't know if anyone's going to unearth any more than, than it's been unearthed already, but that is pretty uh, fascinating to me, at least that there's even more sort of uh because who did you say that off the cuff? Wasn't it? I don't even remember how this started. Uh, it started because John Worcester brought up Hootie and the Blowfish as doing a replacements cover. Ah, and then then it became that maybe they're punk or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, we don't have we we don't have like uh you know we don't have that that like that smoking blowfish yet. You know. We need, <laughs> We need, we need that. We need like the, we need like the flyer, you know, or like the photo. Uh, well, there are way more connections, even in like adjacent manners that's than true. I ever thought possible. So that is true. Uh, point number two in this message, uh, he mentions that uh, the one record on SST that we didn't highlight uh, was the Stains twelve inch. I thought I did say that, but maybe I when we were going through the discography, I thought I said the Stains twelve inch. But if I didn't, I definitely that's an oversight because that yeah, that's the one that uh, you know, and it's it's very early, so maybe that's why it gets overlooked. But that's like the one you know, kind of obscure SST punk record. Yeah, and he claims that the sick record with crazy guitar that at times out gins gin in in my opinion, he quotes. So, uh, yeah. And then what was the other point here that he has? Um, Oh, he mentions that, uh, what does this say here? Subtopic live albums, good enough to be part of the band's discography. How about singles? And he highlights Eats Communist Radio. Uh, He says the live is uh, is superior. I don't know. Well, that's what I said with uh, with the Huns, like that that record. I think the live versions of those songs are better than the studio versions. Um, so there are those punk bands, definitely. I'd say, uh, uh, I don't know. I gotta go. I go back and listen to that eat. But is that is that a live single? Yeah, that's what he's claiming here. I don't. Yeah, really, I guess I it is this version either. But, but he says communist radio. Is a uh, is a fucking amazing record, and it's the time I got ripped off on eBay for trying to buy that record. You got ripped off. For got it? ripped off in the early days of eBay, pre PayPal, Chris. Oh, really? Sent a money order down to South America. Never got my record. <laughs> Bummer. Yep. That is yep. always the worst. 
Yep. I got the, the same person took on a bunch of people and I got taken in the least because, you know, I should have been wise to it. When you see someone selling an eat communist radio and also selling a Beatles gold label, <laughs> either of some very diverse tastes, or there's a scam afoot. <laughs> Luckily, this is pre uh, explosion in prices. So it was not for too much money. <laughs> now it would be, uh, Maybe worth a plane ticket to try and get your money back. <laughs> painful. Painful, yeah. <laughs> a very painful thing at this point. Uh, all right. Next email from Kurt K. Best live LPs. I was listening to footnotes from the Flag episode the other day, and you were mentioning the best live albums ever. Uh, and this, this is Kurt's picks. Johnny K and the Heart, jo- Johnny, Johnny Thunders <laughs> and the Heartbreakers live at Max's Kansas City. Big Black Pig Pile. And the Clash, Guns of Brixton, this is a bootleg. And yeah, I don't know of that Clash one. I don't think I've heard that that bootleg. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Uh, and he says, I know you both like Metallicao, and while it has a special place in my heart, it doesn't match the options with three studio recordings or three recordings. Yeah, that's true. Like, it's not better. Like, that's, you know. I think the Johnny Thunders I'm I'm fully on board with. I think that Live at Max's is great. I don't recall this Black Flag record. Or not Black Big Flag. Black. Big Black, pardon me. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know. Maybe I've never heard it. That's strange because uh, I like that band. But That came out. That was commercially released, I think. Oh, no, it was. I'm just like, I don't know why I don't ever remember hearing that record. Um, Either way. Okay. I got to check it out. That's the thing about Big Black. They're a band that when you want it, it's there for you. There's a lot of it. <laughs> Definitely an acquired taste. I do like the spectrum of stuff that was chosen. The yeah. Thunder, Big Black, and Clash. I think that's what, because it's a strange trio uh, of things. But uh, I'm with the, the Johnny Thunders recording for sure. I, I'm, I'm out. Jury's out for me on the other two, but I haven't heard one. And I've heard some good, like, live Clash stuff, but nothing that's really blown me away as being, like, the best live record or anything. So. Yeah, and as like, we know Damien's opinion on this. No, I, I don't hate him. <laughs> Come on, Chris. We're <laughs> fighting chance here. Uh, yeah, no, I don't hate him. I, I actually don't mind him uh, that much at all. And so, uh, like, it's just, uh, especially that era, I think that I would probably like it. But I don't think I've heard that record in particular. Yeah, me either. Uh, so I more guess on the, more on the live album. Are we going to the next one. I guess we'll go to the next one. People love this live album. People topic, love this live as, album. As we're finding out, uh, Jeff M. Reutzen says two, and this is kind of a little off the punk uh, path a little bit, but he says uh, two bands in the A's that released live albums before they had a studio album was the Primus Suck on This and Jane's Addiction, Jane's Addiction, self-titled. Um, the latter I'm a big fan of. Uh, the early Primus record, I don't know if I'm into um, but at the time of that was a brilliant move. Word at the time was spreading in CA. I'm guessing it means California. Yeah. About their amazing live shows. People who couldn't make it out could at least get a feel for the, the albums by listening to them that way. Uh, seemed maybe like an economical way for a band to release material without shelling out the expensive studio costs. Huh. Interesting theory. Yeah. Like, and I think at that point, uh, you know, like those bands were like, it was a club thing, right? Like it would help you get signed to a major label. And the thought of putting out like an, an indie release was just like a promotional thing, I would imagine. But maybe that's a big, no, Suck on This is a big record. What, what, yeah, uh, it 
What's it a, seemed like, and I wasn't aware. I mean, I'm vaguely familiar with that record, but I didn't think it was a live one. But I guess it is. Yeah, it was put out by Prong, Prawn Song, who, which is their label, I guess. And uh, yeah, like it, it looks like it's still kind of putting out stuff for them. So uh, yeah, later later in the email uh, sidebar here, he's talking about the a perfect four which I'm guessing is the LP run, I think, this is in reference to, which would make the most sense, uh, saying Bad Religion, Suffer Straight Through the Stranger Than Fiction. Um, I'm not sure if I'm entirely with him on that. And then Damn, starting at Machine Gun ed- Etiquette through to Phantasmagoria. Um, I would start before Machine Gun Etiquette. Yeah, I would start too. But, but like people don't like that second record, but I love that fucking second record. Yeah, he says, I wish I could start Damn, 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 but I find the second record pretty much unlistenable. <laughs> yeah, which <laughs> I disagree with. Say. I like that second record. It's like definitely a different thing, and obviously they, they you know, return to form. But I remember Mojo Magazine, of all places, writing kind of in defense of that record as a buried treasure in one issue. And I kind of went back and was like, fuck, this record is cool. And the story of it is kind of amazing. It's like an admirable failure. They wanted Sid Barrett to produce it, but they had to settle on, I think it's Nick Mason produced it, right? Oh, cool. No, I wasn't aware of that. But yeah, <laughs> yeah you try for Sid. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to hard to get a copy of Sid. Yeah, <laughs> but exactly. It works, works uh, in the same manner. But also, um, just back to that other uh, part yeah, of the email on. where uh, talking about Primus, uh, yeah, Primus's first appearance though is on this weird ass compilation that you always see in Toronto for some reason called <laughs> uh, Germs Choice, and I have no idea. It's like a, a, a LA radio show, and it was like a compilation of demos that I guess got sent in. But yeah, Mud Puppies are on this too. God, it's a weird comp. I gotta dig this out and listen to it again. But I bought it because Primus was on it. I'm like, oh, wow, this is gonna be like a record that everyone's looking for. Nah. <laughs> and it and it features their their very uh their first smash hit Tommy the Cat. There you yeah. go. And also features Monks of Doom. <laughs> yeah, it's a strange strange lineup. <laughs> yeah, very 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 weird lineup. Okay. A next email. Yes. No, no, there's still more to go on this one, there's, right? There is one. Yeah, there's a couple little points here I want to touch on really quick. Uh wishes he could say wire, but he's never picked up an ideal copy. Even if it's good, he doesn't know. He can't count it because it came out eight years after the first run. I agree. Uh, it's a good well, record, though. I, I like that record, but I'm with him on the sort of it's yeah, distorted. Yeah, it doesn't work. Right. Yeah, it doesn't, uh, it's not the same thing. Yeah, totally. And his last little anecdote here is that obviously not punk, but as the shirt says, the only thing you can trust in your is yourself and the first six Black Sabbath albums. Truth. I kind of agree with that, too. Yeah. Anyway. Um, what's Heaven and Hell? What number is that? Oh Lord, we're gonna go into. <laughs> let's not do that now. <laughs> anyway, okay, let's go on to the next email. Uh, Dan P writes in, uh, "Butthole Surface and Black Flag fan of both Turn It Punk and Footnotes. Thank you very much." First, regarding the Butthole Surfers firing a shotgun at Lollapalooza, um, this was addressed on Henry Rollins' podcast, Heidi and Henry, on the episode discussing Lollapalooza One, which Henry Rollins. Band was opening. According to Rollins, the shotgun shells did not contain pellets. So that goes against what you thought, Chris, when you saw, you could have sworn you saw stuff breaking up in the air. Uh, not surprising, but were filled with powder, gunpowder, giving the shots a louder, more visible effect. Here's the link to the episode. 
Anyway, we'll post that link, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. We'll post the link, I guess. I didn't, I didn't, I thought something was breaking up, but I thought it was because it was an actual bullet and he was shooting something that was separating. Yeah. It. I didn't think it was like pellets, but okay. Even acid doesn't make you that cr- like you know you gotta be, you know even Gibby was like no, not gonna use live ammo. <laughs> <laughs> Still would not want to do it today, even with an unloaded shotgun. Even yeah, with a, would not want to pull a cap gun on stage in 2016. Yeah, that footage is still very edgy in this current climate. Uh, yes, absolutely. Well, uh, it was edgy then too, but it's certainly even more. I, I would say. I don't think it was because it wasn't like it made national headlines. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, you're right there. Like now, so. it would make national headlines. Like imagine if someone at the gathering of the Juggalos pulled out a gun on stage and was like <laughs> firing it off in the air. I like that. That's your your modern <laughs> that's, uh, that's modern equivalent. <laughs> yeah, like, I would I would put like the Twisted Records crew. <laughs> uh, up there with uh, the Interscope Records crew, circa the early nineties. <laughs> <laughs> they, probably, they probably sell the same amount. I will say. Uh, yeah, maybe actually, like the only thing left that sells in twenty sixteen. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, also, I love the flag and the footnotes episode. Got me thinking about how unique Black Flag was, and that they had four singers, all of whom I consider to be good. I feel like when looking back. On bands with multiple singers throughout their existence, one era singer is usually thought as superior. I think most people would say Keith, Des, Ron, and Henry were all strong in their own way. Just thought I'd offer up a potential topic of discussion for footnotes. Which bands had two-plus singers that have all been good? Ooh. Anyway, thanks for doing the show. Uh, Yeah, that is a great one. That is a good one. I'm trying to think off the top of my head here. Certainly not fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) two singers man i'm trying to think of i don't know this one's tough uh countdown to oblivion it's the counter at the same time path of resistance no Uh, (laughs) i would say uh, i had one in the uh, obvious examples i don't know dag nasty i think a lot of people feel yeah yeah but people like go a lot of different ways with Dag Nasty. True, true. You know, Dag Nasty, I would definitely say, is one. Where but I say, I think the general consensus is that people are uh, accept both on the same caliber, from my experiences. With with Dag Nasty, yeah, yeah. The first two singers are accepted as being the the great ones, and then people have different opinions as it goes on. Yeah, and then I guess when it starts anyway. Uh, I would say, uh, like, do you count New Order and Joy Division? Ooh, yeah, that's an interesting. I never thought of that. Because that's uh, the only band where it's probably more successful with a different lead singer, commercially <laughs> successful, a second singer. Oh, and also, you know what? I, I Back to Black Sabbath. Yeah. Although, for me, though, that's still, they're both excellent, but. For me, Ozzy is definitely the one. But yeah, it's they're both really strong, right? Like you can have oh, yeah, a favorite, yeah. right? Like with Black Flag, everyone has their favorite. Yeah, no, agreed. Yeah, yeah, good point. I'm being a little facetious. I but suppose. there are people that I know that you know it's a contrarian opinion a little bit. But like, say Dio over Ozzy. Oh no, I I know those people too. I I love Dio in his own right, but I don't for Sabbath that early Sabbath period is just too hard to like get out from yeah. under for yeah. me. But, um, uh, yeah. 
I'll tell you one thing. I definitely, when I saw both Black Sabbaths and when I saw it with Dio, this is also way later than their first <laughs> yeah. run. Yeah. It was so sick. I, I liked it more with Dio than Ozzy. Well. Live. In in two thousands, so take that for what you will. <laughs> fair, fair point. Sure. <laughs> That's a hot take. If ever there was a hot take, I'm just yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know. And I think it's like it's kind of like that. The bite in that argument has been uh, the teeth have been gnawed down by time. At that point, it's not <laughs> yeah. like we're comparing two bands in their primes. No, exactly. if anything, I would say Dio just was like a. You know, had more of a ability to kind of hold the crowd, even though it was a much smaller crowd. So take that for what you will. I think he was. I think he's a bit more, or was a bit more coherent in the later years yeah. than Sir Ozzy is. That that I think is part of it. But yeah, I, I think as a show, as a show, and his voice, his voice, he, like he never, like it was maybe not as strong, but he never lost it in the no, same way that Ozzy doesn't necessarily sound like he did. <laughs> Yeah, so I think we're dealing with a, a very unique individual over Donnie. Yeah, so, yeah. so he has special rules, let's say. So, so, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of other um, Sonic Youth. I love I love Lee Ronaldo's vocals. Yeah, but would he be considered the primary singer, though? You know what I mean? That's what I'm. I'm well, that nearly broke up the band on Dirty, according really? to the Sonic Youth book. Yeah. It was I was like not aware of that. They kept one of his songs off it. Um, genetic, which is the best Sonic Youth song, like one of the best. Like it was one of my favorite Sonic Youth songs, definitely. But you could consider. I mean, you could also consider Kim Gordon, uh, you yeah, know, as much of a singer. Oh, I would definitely as Thurston yeah. Moore. Yeah, no, absolutely. That those are the singers in the band, Kim yeah. and Thurston, and then and then Lee. I would say, and this is a hot take. <laughs> I think he's he's up there. I think he's as good. I like his songs. I certainly like as much as any of their songs. I yeah, I'm a fan. I like him a lot. Um, I've never thought about that argument before, <laughs> probably because I, the the amount of songs I'm aware of that he sings certainly aren't the same amount. So it's hard to weigh it for me. But yeah, I, I definitely like his style. Like I like his some of his solo records. Have too. you heard that song, Genetic Chris? I can't remember off the top of my head. If we weren't an hour into this thing and uh, – Stop and play it. <laughs> I'd, make, I'd make us pause this thing so you could listen to it because it is that good. Well, I love that record and I love the sessions like of that era. So I don't think I've heard it, but maybe I have in passing. It's on the 100% it... CD single. It's not on the 7-inch version. No. Oh, okay. I definitely have that, but I don't remember it. Well, but yeah, I own it. And then someone blew my mind one time because I was talking about it somewhere, and someone hit me up on Twitter, or maybe it was for on this podcast in an early email or something. And they were like, "It, it, uh, it's like I've always heard that it's about, or always thought that it was about Lee Ronaldo talking to his kid." And huh. it's like when you hear that, it just like blows your mind even more. Cool. I'll dig it out. I have it. I'll dig it out to listen to it. But yeah, offhand, I can't remember. It's awesome. It's a sick song. Um, yep. definitely stand by that song very strongly. I've put, I got on a lot of ledges today with some of these choices <laughs> and, and stands that I've taken, but that one I'm, I'm going to stand behind very strongly. 
This next email is one dear to your heart, so I'd like you to Yes. Uh, see, like, I, I was like, you were like, oh, should we put this in? I'm like, yes, of course, but not realizing this was going to be like a three-hour episode or something. <laughs> hey, oh, I just want to say, content-wise, I had no issue. I just was like, there's a lot of email here. <laughs> no, exactly. No, no no issue because this is a, this is a great email. Definitely something worth getting into. Uh, this is from Josh B. in regards to the hopeless discography I know uh, my commentary on best comps from the last footnote got a few. I challenge you all to take a look at the Hopeless Records discography. I think the label gets a bad name because of the 2000s, Avenged Sevenfold, and uh, in in Josh's opinion, BS. Uh, but uh, the mid to late 90s, they had some pretty great bands on the label. Um, the Queers, which he says, though not their best releases. The Nobodies. Falling Sickness, Against All Authority, White Caps, Dillinger 4, Funeration, 88 Fingers Louie, Mustard Plug, and Digger and Heckle. And yeah, the, I mean, he, the Beer he writes, Nuts comps too. I think we did talk about the Beer Nuts comp. We've talked about the Beer Nuts comp before, I think, in regards to Davey Havoc. Maybe. Yes, I believe you're correct there. But let's call up this hopeless discography. And I am calling it up. I also want to defend that Everything's Okay EP by the Queers is good. It certainly is not early Queers, but it's definitely a good EP in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I, 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 like, I, I was gonna, I'm gonna have to go back and listen to it, but it's like, am I gonna do that? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well, let's get into this thing. Uh, we should probably do it chronologically, right? Wow, it's fucking crazy if you don't do chronologically and you look at some of the stuff this label put out. Oh, they put out actually the used record in 2016. So, <laughs> wow, Louis Posen? This is like still Louis Posen's label that's going on this Avenged Sevenfold? I have not. I'm out of touch. Okay, let's go to the back to the beginning. Oh, okay. I I did that LP2. Anyway, sorry, I'm just lost looking in this myself. That's why I was silent. <laughs> First thing they put out was the Guttermouth 7 inch. Um, Guttermouth for me is never going to get a pass for a couple things. Uh, one, they were shitty to a friend of mine when she was on stage. Number two, they also ripped off a riff from Five Knuckle Chuckle <laughs> and put it on one of their records. And, uh, so that for me is, uh, those are lines that I don't let bands pass from. <laughs> There's also a song on this that says Sid Vicious was innocent as the B, the end of the B side. So that's a hot take. That's a, that is definitely a hot take. But that's 93. But that actually though brings up. Arguably uh, might be true. Yeah. Well, yeah. Rockets Red Glare. Tristan was at, that, I was talking to Tristan today about Rockets Red Glare, but that's yeah. the, uh, that's the one the, uh, they want, they don't want you to think did it, right? That's the great punk rock, one of the great punk rock conspiracy theories. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the, or that it was like heroin. Oh no, th that's the one with Darby Crash. That it was like the FBI gave bad heroin or something. I remember hearing that one. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Uh, the White Caps, uh, Cannonball Man. I, I actually, this is a record I got to go back and listen to because I remember thinking the White Caps had some pretty cool songs. But here's where I get onto the label: Eighty Eight Fingers, Louie Behind Bars. I love that record. <laughs> I remember this record. I never really got into this band. Um, but, well, why does it say Bad Taste? Did Bad Taste co-release this with... Uh... I think Bad Taste might have done a European pressing of it. Oh, okay. Oh, well, same year. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I guess they did. 
crazy. Either way, um, yeah, I never I, like I have no issue with this band, but I never got into this LP. But oh, I do. Remember. I love this band, and I love that record. Definitely, that was like a record I was like super into. Yeah, it was definitely one of those records people people were uh, big on. I remember at that time. Yeah, um, I for whatever reason I just never I don't know why I never got into it. They played the Opera House on that tour, which might have been an overplay on that tour. <laughs> and the Opera House <laughs> was a big venue at that point. Um, oh, you mean they headlined it? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and but then they came back and it was I saw them again. On, I think they played a Snow Jam. I think probably this is very Snow Jammy territory we're in right now. Oh, yeah, this is definitely some snow jam. But then the next record is the one I wanted to get to because this is a very fascinating record. Schlong, which uh, is Dave Mello from uh, – is it Dave Mello? From uh, – yeah, Dave Mello from uh, uh, Operation Ivy, the drummer of Operation Ivy's band with his brother. And this band was going on from like since the early 90s. Like They were kind of going around simultaneously or going on at the same time as Operation Ivy. And this was their record that they did that is, I believe, and I'm not 100% familiar with the original LP or the source material, but I believe it's a song-for-song song cover of West Side Story. Huh. Wow. Okay. I see it. This is another one that I don't know. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the cover would denote that it is and the title of it, which is Punk Side Story. Yeah. And uh, it's all like Bay Area, Berkeley, like, like people, like scene people type thing. Oh, cool! Um, from like all different bands. So you you had heard this at the time you were into this record. Oh, this band, yeah, this was on. Did you have like the hopelessly devoted to comp the first one? No, I never. Again, I was at that. I didn't have that comp. I was going to stores where I had seen it, but I never the hopeless thing. Like some of these bands, I got into, but I think some of them, like Falling Sickness and. Heckle, things like that, I saw kind of come through. Did, wait, did Heckle play with Good Riddance when they, in St. Catharines, or did you go to that Toronto show? They No, well, they played here with... Um, Jughead's Revenge? No, with DBS, I believe. Heckle? Yeah, I think. Well, cause oh, no, Heckle, sorry. Heckle yeah. came through. The, I, no, I, got, I have my shows mixed up. But they definitely came through, and I cannot remember who the hell they played with. But I remember everyone was big on them when they played here. They were good live, too. Um but uh, yeah, so some of these bands I had familiarity in that regard, but I never really got into like the label as a label all that much. Um, so I never like did like the the way Epitaph and Fat had sort of the rosters that really captivated people. This label, it's not that it was it's just I just never got into it in the same way. For me, I did, I definitely did because I think for me, it's it's always been kind of like an interesting label. Like look at the range of bands already, like Funeral Oration too, which is a band that I've now become way more obsessed with it's like but that was my first exposure to them is that first record uh that the hopeless put out for them they did a couple yeah, records yeah. for them i think they did three or four or maybe even more and then of course the nobodies did a split with falling sickness and i bought that one of the first purchases i made at full blast records so digger was sick too they came through featured members of weston I'm wrong there too. Digger, I believe, was the one that played with DBS, but Heckle definitely played here. Digger played Toronto. I don't think they played. I can't remember who they played with, but there was someone. I else. feel like it was Digger, Falling Sickness, and DBS when they played here. I'm pretty uh, sure because that was. And there was definitely uh, there was a sort of Jelly Beans and Falling Sickness and Against All Authority, and then there was also Falling Sickness, DBS, and Anti Flag. 
Yeah, it might have been off that tour, I would imagine then. Yeah. But um, uh, anyway, uh, yeah. that's cool. And then there was the Skanking in the Pit comp, which is a Skanking in the Pit comp, uh, which is a ska punk compilation. Uh, <laughs> so there's, yeah, it's a, it's a good disc. It's like an interesting discography to go through. Mustard Plug and, and Heckle. I, though I, uh, I don't know. I think I like the first Heckle record more, which is a, a Wingnut record. Which is pre the complicated futility of ignorance. Yeah, yeah. I haven't heard that one. I, I know this LP. I don't know that that other one. But like here, here's the reason that this label should hold a soft spot for us, Chris. They have a Jughead's Revenge Heckle split and a Weston Digger split. <laughs> yes, I love that. That Jughead's Heckle split has come up before. Yep. Uh, I also said this before, and I'm going to say it again. It has the worst artwork I've ever seen in my life and color scheme. Um, what was the other one you mentioned? The 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 Weston uh, Digger Split. Oh, yeah. That one I don't know, but I remember seeing. Um, the Jughead's one I don't think I own. <laughs> but, but I don't know why I don't because I like Jughead's. And I like actually I like Heckle, too. So I don't know why I didn't buy that in 97. Uh, it's a sick record. And now you can get it for the low, low asking price of... Four dollars, Chris. <laughs> well, there you go. It's like you were it's probably cheaper than I paid for it back then. <laughs> it was probably like five bucks. No, uh, the and but I think the reason that this label is important and kind of essential and all that kind of stuff is because they put out arguably the uh, the shape of punk to come for pop punk. <laughs> In the form of Dillinger Force Midwestern Songs of the Americas. I for yeah, that's a good call. I always forget. That's right. That record that's came one out. Group, that's one group that is really they. I mean, for good reason. They're they're a great live band, but they definitely would you not agree that that band has risen above any of this sort of stuff? Like they definitely have a rep that is never tarnished. It seems they had it back then. You know, yeah. like they were like, and it's funny because like, I would say that Shape of Punk to Come is the record that came out and made all the pop punk kids want to become hardcore kids or all the pop punk bands want to be hardcore bands. And by the same token, the when Midwestern Songs of the Americas came out, all the hardcore kids wanted to be pop punk bands. <laughs> it was like, I saw them at uh, More Than Music, I think. And it was incredible. It was so awesome. And they're still good. Still good. All these years later. Yeah, but they yeah, so that that is a good one. That's definitely one on the label. It's funny that that I forget that they had any association with this label for whatever silly reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because did they did they switch later? What? what yeah, they signed it? a fat eventually, I think. Oh, okay. Because I don't, I don't. It's like I remember this this LP the way it looks too, but I never, I don't remember this being on this label for whatever. Yeah, reason. that record came out, and then Versus God was next, and that was, yeah. Almost equally as important, I think, to to people when it came out. I always thought the Versus God was a very clever record title too, so it's always stuck out in my mind. Oh yeah, oh yeah, no, it's it, the, and I love that record just equally as much. That was a that was the band that was like that band is one of those bands that I think you know like yeah they they've they've gotten a lot of spotlight but like you know they're still like one of those bands that I'm like ah oh, geez I gotta go back and listen to them again because they are hold up yeah that that's kind of what for me I just like I'm always in awe of bands that don't see like for me like this band and like a veil there's a few of those bands from like that 90s period that really like 
always sort of keep their rep and people love to death. Something like uh, Jawbreaker, stuff like that. Yeah. Like people always love it no matter what sort of it fell into. Yeah. Yeah, they're like – that's the thing is like there are a couple pop punk bands that kind of like are just like always given a pass. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're saying in hardcore and they're and they're definitely you know, but and for good reason. Like these are like you're saying bands that are kind of like, yeah, those are those are fucking incredible bands. Like no wonder people like them. <laughs> yeah, agreed. They're they're definitely great bands. All those ones I mentioned, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, them and 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 like uh Avenged Sevenfold and you know, <laughs> uh, Well, that's that's acquired taste. I have uh I I find it funny that the person You've toured them, with them, right? I have, yes. But early on, like you toured with them, at, like around like yeah, like, like this, 2007 this, yeah. era, six era, right? No, 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 earlier than that. It was like, yeah, it was like just see, like I don't remember the association again with this label with that band, but they were kind of blowing up as well. This, yeah, this record came out in 2003. It would have been on that tour, so 2003, 2004, what? maybe. Their first record came out of Good Life Recordings. Yeah, I think so. If oh, I'm not they, they are label mates with Catharsis. Yeah, that is fucking crazy. Well, because they were they were like a. Um, it's funny that we're talking about this, but um, yeah, they were like part of that thing before the the sort of hopeless connection. But like, who? What's their like hardcore band then? Like what? Like who? Someone must have been from like some like 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 what were previous members? And you're saying. Yeah, like like you know, someone must have been in that. Like someone must have been like for them to be on Good Life's radar. Like, were they already popular by that point? No, the first I I, EPs I, on Good Life in two thousand one. So they must be ex members of some like like tech metal band or like mosh metal thing or something, right? Yeah, I don't I don't remember, but it wouldn't surprise me to learn that. But yeah, I just what I would say is the the affiliation with. That this label related to that band, I was not even aware of, and and again, I was on the road uh, with a band that was playing with them that they were just starting to blow up. So it's funny to think of that hopeless label kind of gaining new life in like 2003 with yeah. some of these. Bands. But it's similar to a bunch of these labels, like like uh, whatever Victory, of course, had their sort of bands like this that blew up and. It was that that whole like whatever you want to say the sea change of all these kind of like I don't know uh, indie large indie whatever punk labels for lack of a better uh, term yeah yeah well it it became like at that time period like a like a power broker you know like it was like one of those didn't I don't know if it ever had a deal with a major or anything like that I I, I should probably shouldn't say if they didn't but they definitely like you know signed a lot of bands that became huge. Yeah. See, and again, this is where I sort of the my my uh, point like of all like all time low. That band is ginormous. You're talking in relation to Hopeless, still, correct? Yeah. 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 See, like I don't. I kind of like again. I wasn't really even aware that Avenge were on it, to be honest, till this email came in. But uh, yeah, like that from that era on, I don't really know what this label did. So I don't know any of these bands other than I hear their names. But, Wonder uh, Years, the, I, lo- the, I love those guys. Yeah, uh, it's just it's funny though that it, this I don't think of this as being one of the labels that kind of blew up with some of these bands that got huge, but um, it looks like they may have. Yeah, like they definitely became like they're still going, like still putting out. They're like the used are on there now, right? Like, okay, okay. that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, like they're you know 
granted it's a live record, double LP, a live acoustic double LP. <laughs> Just what the world needed. Yeah. Yeah. We should do a live riff tracks of you and me listening to it. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> we do it. And they cover Imagine on it. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. It's not so even a show closer. They're like going to come back on after that. I got, I've got nothing on the, on those topics. I hung out one time at a festival with the lead singer of the used, and we talked about 16 cavity and grief. That's cool. It was cool. He was fucked up. <laughs> well, he's, he's, he's got some okay taste. Obviously. He's got some great taste at that point. You know? There was uh there was someone that was on the road with them that, like always was wearing a dark throne Transylvanian hunger hoodie the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> There's always like the one dude in like a popular screamo black metal or sorry, popular screamo uh, band or I guess screamo band that's like uh, got the black metal shirt on. Like there's the drummer. This guy of, wasn't in the band. He was like, he wasn't even like a crew guy. He was just like their boy. And like <laughs> he always had that on. I was always just amazed that this not that I don't know whatever. Was a drummer? Like, I remember the drummer from uh, from first to last, uh, like you know Skrillex's band. He had on like some Burzum hoodie. Yeah, some I've seen pictures like that too. I don't know. That's a bit more of a different. Uh, oh yeah, definitely a different beast. That's <laughs> yeah, not as uh, not as not as sketchy with the the Dark Throne. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say it's not entirely not sketchy, but yeah. Not as sketchy. Yeah, yeah. Put an as in there. But, you know, it's still not as sketchy as the Imagine cover, I'm sure, on this user <laughs> in a different way. Well uh, said. Uh, but, you know, if anyone's friends with Brett McCracken and he wants to come on and talk 16 anytime, that would be fun. And we could talk Imagine, too. <laughs> it's a great song. Oh, also, Chris. Alpha motherfuckers, the tribute to Turbo. Oh, they put that out. Yep. Weird. They put out an American version of that, I guess, because I have a a European one. I think the vinyl came out in Europe, but I think the CD ah was in North America was hopeless. That would make sense. But yeah, you're right. It must have been a European comp, right? Because there's like a lot of these bands. It's like who, like yeah, um. Yeah. It's not uh, – no disrespect, but it's not the strongest representation, I don't think, personally. I don't know. I'm going through this now, and it's it's pretty cool. Like, <laughs> Ratos de Perro is on it. That's probably the worst pronunciation ever that band's gotten, but I apologize. But that band's fucking sick, you know, from Brazil. I don't know them, really. No. They're like an old first-wave or second-wave Brazilian hardcore band um, and still going to this day. Huh. And they put out some unbelievable records. Like their first record uh is is like phenomenal. They just split with Coliera, like a split live record. That is something. That is one of those live records I'll put up there in our live conversation. Coliera <laughs> yeah. Rados de Perro uh split. I don't know. I don't I'm my pronunciation sucks. But anyway, that split is fucking incredible. Incredible. <laughs> I have no, uh, I have nothing to add on that. I'm not familiar with it, but cool. Oh, you got to pick it up, Chris. All right, man. Brazilian punk records go for a lot of money on LP. Holy shit! <laughs> All right, uh, we do but, have one last email if we want to go on here. Before we... Fuck, 
Might as well, buddy. Finish strong. Uh, it's just in regards to splits. And let me see here. Oh, it's just live records. Yeah, he talks What about- the fuck, Chris, though? We can't move on yet. Okay, what? Because uh, there's this band on this comp called Amulet. A New York, uh, it's like a Norwegian hardcore group from Oslo. Uh, and uh, anyway, they played on this compilation that you have, Alpha Motherfuckers, Tribute to uh-huh. Negro. Yeah. Uh, are you on the page? I am not, but I can okay. Go find the page. it. Yeah. Go to the page. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, for the band or for the comp? The comp. Okay. I'm getting there. This must be riveting for the listeners. <laughs> anyway, this is blowing yeah. my mind, buddy. Okay, which one? Amulet? Yeah. Yeah. Look at Into who played kids, bass yeah. on that record. Matt Summers from Shark Attack. That's not no way. It's the same dude. Like, I don't know if it's the same Discogs listing. Yeah, but that's someone making an error. Because this was... I can't be. <laughs> you also Where played are you in... finding this? Like, I don't see that uh, connection. If you click on... Uh, various alpha motherfuckers attribute to Turbo Negro. Yeah, and you go to Amulet, the third track. It lists the the members. Are you? Are oh, you... okay, okay. I'm I'm looking on the actual Discogs entry site thing. I'm on okay. the Discogs entry too. No, but I mean, yeah. Sorry, you're, I'm not seeing the members of the band that way. Okay, but, okay. but if you click on that, you're saying yeah, bass. Wow, and you click on it, it is. It go. <laughs> so maybe it's a mistake because did he also play in this band called Euro Boys? I highly doubt it, yeah. <laughs> oh, please don't say it's a mistake, Chris. Yeah, it, like, wow. like This would have been like, you know, he's like, finishes Shark Attack. He's like, fuck. Gotta go to Europe and join this super group. Hardcore super group. Yeah, it, it can't. It, it can't it's be. Gotta be. It's gotta be a mistaken. Uh, there is a Norwegian connection, though, to that scene, right? To which scene? To Philadelphia? To th- that whole shark attack? Yeah, like what's that? What's that band? Insurance risk. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so there is a Norwegian collection connection, I should say. Yeah, I think that's a little bit reaching, but yeah. Yep, I think so too. I think you yeah, might be mis- wrong that they're connected, but if let's hope, Chris, let's hope. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right. These emails, I can't believe we are not through them yet, but uh, there's been some <laughs> interesting stuff. You've gone on uh, that that hopeless thing really had some traction, so I hope Josh is happy. <laughs> you got some life out of that one. Yeah. Um, what here? Da, da, da. Last thing, the flag episode. People love the flag episode, by the way, so good work, buddy. Someone, someone tweeted at me today, uh, and it was like, the black flag episode bummed me out the entire time. <laughs> well, I was you gotta embarrassed have, for them, or was embarrassed the entire time, or something. You got to have both sides of the, the thing. It's either I guess. Or, right. Um, let me see. This person brings up the one man army alkaline trio split, which I am not familiar with. I'm guessing you're not terribly familiar. I don't. I've never known you to be a fan of either band, Damien. I actually, the first two alkaline trio seven are fucking okay. incredible. Prove me wrong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know who you? Do you know? Uh, do you know that band Lunch Me? Do you ever see Lunch Me? No. Okay, the singer of that band, Sam Alamang, this uh, this person I've been friends with for a long time, but he booked the first like alkaline trio shows in Toronto for like years. Okay. He did them. Yeah. And they were just like this like goofy stoner band that stayed at his house. 
the whole time. And then like they blew up. They're a band that like, you know, like built to their sound too, I guess. Right. Yeah. It seems that, I mean, I don't, I don't know them to listen to them, but yeah, they definitely have a huge fan base that freaks out. Well, Chris, you might want to check them out because they do feature uh, a member of death in June on one of the records. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> How do you even know that? <laughs> you didn't know that? <laughs> How big of an Alkaline Trio fan are you? Uh, I, I write it in an interview one. Actually, no, I think I, I think I'm, we were talking about it. I think I met, uh, someone from that band one time. We were talking about it. Or I asked him about it or something. I don't know. But yeah. I believe, I believe I know what you're talking about, but I'm not, uh, I'm not going to nibble on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. We'll leave it at that. But how, how insane is that? The Alkaline Trio, like, that means that, like, through Alkaline Trio, you can connect, like, <laughs> Crisis to, like, Blink-182. I think you're vast, <laughs> vastly reaching yet again. No, well, that is a – what are you talking about? That's way more tangible than the connection between the Gizmos and Hootie and the Blowfish <laughs> that you didn't call me on earlier. Uh I just think the other one, the hoodie one, almost makes more sense in some bizarre way to to my brain. But yeah, I I can't prove you wrong. I'm just saying it seems a little far fetched what you're saying. That's all. Chris, would would you rather <laughs> have to listen to the Use cover Imagine or Alkaline Trio cover Crisis a uh, Holocaust? I would rather listen to the the Use cover Imagine. I'm going with the, I'm going to still Alkaline Trio on that one. It'd be interesting. Be really I just I like I like I actually like both songs, but I yeah, just, like both songs are incredible songs in their own. I life. think I would expect Imagine to be butchered by anyone and everyone, so I'm okay with that one sort of taking the fall. Whereas I kind of don't want to hear anyone cover Crisis. Personally. I think it's a harder song to pull off than Crisis. Oh, definitely. Yeah, like yeah. like the note. I'm just picturing that like the, that high note in Imagine. Like hitting that, <laughs> yeah, yes. Just I ooh. How about live setting thing? too? You just have one chance to nail that. Ooh. How about the whole thing? It's kind of iconic. It's kind of hard to. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's kind of hard, hard to vocal. walk in those shoes. It's, hard, yeah. it's a hard vocal to do. Yeah. I, so that's why I think Alkaline Trio doing uh, Holocaust. Yeah, I just what would I rather hear more? Because I would be equally um, underwhelmed by both. I would probably want to hear the Imagine instead. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. I'll put that one to the listeners. You decide. <laughs> Please don't. Please um, don't write us about that one. Uh, okay, let's uh, move on to the next. Uh, uh, that's it. That's We're it. In episode, We're in the guys. episode. Oh my gosh! We're free of the mailbag. Then let's talk more about Alkaline Trio and the connections to obscure UK DIY bands. <laughs> yes. So what do you want to talk about first from the episode? Uh, why don't you go first, Chris? Because I just went on a weird tangent that people are probably bored of hearing me talk now. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Um, where do we begin? I guess we start earlier than later. So uh, we'll talk about the Sweden's Poison Idea and I don't know how to pronounce this band's name well. Ro- Roosevelt? 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 I'm, yeah, I'm terrible with Swedish. I'm, yeah. Any European pronunciation, frankly. Uh, they but, are uh, in- awesome. They are incredible. Yeah, totally. I thought I was. I think the thing that was most uh, intrigued about about this interview is that uh, I don't know. Of course, I'm not. I, sh- I shouldn't be anymore hearing a lot of these interviews that you've done. But I'm always. Um, 
like the people that are, are interested in things I wouldn't expect them to be interested in. And sort of like the Astacask mentions and the <clears throat> Roosevelt, I don't know how again to pronounce that. I, I like that they talked about that stuff. I did not expect that at all. Even when you had mentioned to me earlier that you were doing this interview, I never thought that would come up. Anything like that. Oh, yeah. No, uh, Frederick from Mill and Colin is like his his hardcore knowledge is, is incredible for for all types. He does, he does like an amazing label. He's played in a bunch of like hardcore bands. He is like like and and this is going to be the hardest thing to pronounce. Uh he, he, like uh Kundvungengen uh that's probably like not even close to the pronunciation at all. But he's got like yeah, he's he is like amazing and his label's sick and puts out incredible records as well. But he is yeah, fast. That's the thing about all these bands is like, you know, they had to come out of a scene to be part of this other scene, you know? And I find that's the most fascinating thing is how they all weave together and connect. Well, I, I liked kind of the way he talked about it, the terms too. I never thought about, for some reason I didn't link some of these things to, to being from Sweden. Like even when you're discussing, he brings up totalitaire and I, for some reason I never, I don't know why I never thought that they were Swedish in my mind, but yeah, I never thought they were, but um, I was like, Oh yeah, that band too. And like, just, kind of like talking about like the first wave of things and then i think the we're sort of i'm broadly talking because i'm tired at this point but uh <laughs> the uh the i thought the most one of the most interesting points is how he sort of talks about like being into punk and that whole like astacask thing and then sort of the millen colin thing starts and it's more about like skateboarding is like a uh, like a pivot point, almost away from that stuff. Well, did you listen to that Super Dong band? I'm going to bring them up later on in the show. I but- didn't get a chance to listen to them. I listened to a bit of the Kung Pung demo, which is actually online. Kung Pung is sick. I think that yeah. band's fucking incredible. Yeah, they're pretty good. And then, um, and of course, I've heard you know that early, but no, I didn't hear whatever the no, not Super Dong. No, the Sidemen also is amazing too, which is the other pre Mill and Colin band, which we talked about a lot on the episode, but like they, t- they talk about this band super dong that features a singer of breach and it is awesome. Holy. I like to listen. It's like, it is, it is definitely like kind of that Swedish sound for that. All these bands would later do. Um, so they were the pre, like they were like the uh, one of these early obscure bands that people don't know that tended to set the tone for that. Is what you're saying? Yeah, like that's what it seems like. And apparently, it's a singer of Breach and maybe some other people that you know went on to do other bands. I think they were saying too, but they actually cool. had uh, appearances on the really fast records compilation. They have the song called Doctor Spock, and it's on YouTube. You can hear it, and you can hear it actually their complete discography on YouTube as well, and it is incredible. Like I just I can't believe no one's reissued this record. Yeah, there's only three listings on the Discogs. And they're all comps. Yeah, and they're all comp appearances. But there's like a complete discography on YouTube that you can check out. Huh, cool. But I had no idea about this band. But I think that's like, this is the band that, you know, it kind of came out. And this must have been like, for people that saw it, like, oh, yeah, let's let's do something more like this. Yeah, it could be. I just, the, the I guess the, I find it interesting because I don't know if here was the same in that regard where like, do you, do you really feel, I mean, there was obviously a different scene regarding like the skateboarding thing where all the music that we've actually just talked about largely in the hopeless spectrum, stuff like that. But I don't know if I'd ever thought like anybody who was into one was not interested in the other. 
like like meaning that if I got into like the punk that they were into, like the Astus cask stuff, that sort of the skateboarding thing would have been as in vogue or something. Yeah, I think like in the pop punk sense of that word, like like what that was in the mid '90s or whatever. I think that scene was just so separate here, you know. Like it really felt like the hardcore scene was completely cut off from that. Yeah, I, I agree. I still think, in a lot of ways, it very much is, to be honest. But yeah, like it's it's now it's even more now. Like there, I think there were like there were links, right? Like. You know, Trigger Happy was ex-members of Deep End and had the drummer of Chronic Submission in it. Um, and, and like there were, you know, there were other things that like kind of at that time, like these, these other people that played in bands that had been in older bands. Maybe it was like that, maybe like when kind of like indie music came to Halifax and all these people that had been punk and hardcore bands started playing in, you know, I guess what we describe that as the murder records. Sam. Yeah, yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah, it's just it's funny to hear about things in the context the way he mentioned them now, because in 2016, you know, that's kind of it's all lumped in. You you wouldn't see this like jump off point where, okay, I'm into I'm interested in kind of like whatever crust influence things, and then like this sort of like skateboarding is more in vogue, so that there's like a pivot. I don't think that sort of thing exists in the same way anymore. I just thought that was an interesting kind of uh, take on it. Yeah, it, I think it does, but maybe it's like it's normally not as it's normally tied in with like you know people going into something you know like think about all the the parties where people all break edge at the same time and then you've lost like a whole scene or something. <laughs> I think of one specific party that I remember hearing about back in the '90s where a lot of people from a certain suburb in Toronto all broke at once, and it's like oh crazy. Well, I guess everyone's into a new thing now. <laughs> yeah that's one way or like it. after refuse came out and there were all these kids that have been in these like kind of pop punk bands that then started pl- playing you know more like refused influence bands. yeah I, I i get what you mean i just thought that was it was an interesting thing to hear yeah. mentioned is all and and to like knowing that they're in millen to hear that the at least i can't remember who was talking at which times but um just again, I, I would not have thought they were so heavily into stuff like Astacast or even I, I don't know if you brought it up or they brought up the Mob Forty Seven thing and oh yeah they they like they would you know they could talk forever about it both yeah of them. like it's and it's amazing because like I find it interesting that that it it's like what was part of that crust scene that was just kind of like cut off and what was kind of part of both scenes like obviously yeah. Astacast was part of both scenes whereas yeah. like you know. Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like some crazy Swedish cross band was like not so much. It was a little more cut off. Yeah, from it. And I never thought like to his point. I never thought of that Rosfeldt band as like Sweden's poison idea. Yeah, but it's burly as shit, right? When you hear yeah. it, you're like, oh, that's that's kind of that sound. And I think that's my favorite type of hardcore. Yeah, I think that's. I, I don't. I'm not going to say it's not mine, but I don't, I think, yeah. Well, you know what, you know, like that, what's that thing, the new flavor, not new, but like Umagi, Umagi, what is it? Not Umagi, that's Umaga is a wrestling thing. Umani, um, you know what I'm talking talking about? You're talking about a band? No, 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 that thing that people describe when you have like a, there's a certain flavor where it fills your mouth with the flavor and it's sometimes fish flavor too. I don't know, buddy. Money. Yeah. Oh, fuck. I don't know. It's too late for me to remember. <laughs> I mean, people know. People are like, yeah, well, you idiot. 
But anyway, uh, I think it's almost like the equivalent of Poison Idea. It's like a certain something when you hear it in, in a band, and you can't gotcha, describe okay. it, what it is, but it's just hitting you in the right way. And they're like, yeah. they're that band. A lot of those Japanese Burning Spirit bands are those hit have that same kind of quality to them. Yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah. And then you pick up random records like the Beef People Seven Inch for some reason that does, or maybe it's not called the Beef People. Let me check. Out yeah, the name. so that that is your speed, is what you're saying. That's, that's my your, speed. That's your uh, your most dear stylistically, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Like yours is uh, <laughs> screamy '90s hardcore. Uh, I'm trying to think of what you don't like the most. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm I'm I have my uh I have my fingers in a, a number of things. I don't know if I have a specific type. I like Neanderthal stuff the most. That would be my thing. Neanderthal. <laughs> yeah. Because it's really stupid for the most part. I yeah. Kind of <laughs> yeah. Like... But no, I like all these bands a great deal. I it it made me think about all like like again, um. The amount, it's just I never placed all these bands in Sweden for whatever silly reason. I, I yeah, like I, I I think that's the thing is like Sweden is man. We should do a geographic battle, you know, like what's the best country for punk, and then we can also have points taken away for bands too. <laughs> you know, but like what you know, because like it, it's like Sweden. There's so much incredible stuff, obviously, that comes out, but like a lot of records that like change, like you know, and and I mentioned this in the episode, but fought from underneath and kind of like made an impact in North America, and this is from a, outside of North America, and it's in, it's really hard for bands to do that. Yeah, I thought that point you made in the interview was very good, actually. The idea of that. Because I think you did you frame it like they're maybe the most non-U.S. country to to pull that off or something. Maybe I would say yeah, like because I can't yeah. like you know in in punk definitely in and that period of punk. Well, I think what's interesting is specifically there's a lot of bases covered in that their early wave sort of bands are excellent, mm-hmm. and then they also get the late bands that end up either becoming big or just very influential in certain regards where it's very all encompassing. Like you, you have people who like, obviously we've discussed things like refused or stuff like that. People are obviously familiar with that. Um, well, I'd say like, yeah, that, like he, he mentions the big four, right. Which were, he says were 59 times the pain, or they say 59 times the pain, satanic surfers, uh, them, no fun at all. and no fun at all. Yeah. And you know, 59 times the pain could tour and sell out venues in North America. Uh, at a point, like maybe not as big as Millencall and, and obviously Refuse, I guess would be the biggest and the Satanic Surfers, I guess just below Millencall if we're going to rank them. Yeah. Uh, but then also like you think about Christopher Ashram and the impact he had through the impact he had on Dallas Green in Canada. Yeah, yeah that's true. Like that's a, you would know better, but that's a big influence on that early Dallas stuff. Well that, but yeah, it's just, it's funny even, and there's, I think, cause uh, am I wrong? Aren't the hives from Sweden too? Yeah, of course. They were on fucking Burning Heart as well. No, I know, but I always forget like who's yeah. from where. I can't, I've, from my brain, I wanted to say they were from Norway as well. No, they're, they're Sweden, they're definitely. Sweden. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's, yeah, and they were on Burning Heart as well. Like that's, you know, like Japan in punk, obviously you have tons of Japanese hardcore but like it, it hits and it's still incredible music. And none of the, nothing. This is not to say these countries don't, or other countries don't produce as good music as other countries. But yeah, like yeah. just stuff that cuts through, like England, Snuff, maybe Leatherface. But like even Leatherface at that time, 
nowhere near the impact of like a refused or of a hives or yeah, you know, no, you're milling call in. Yeah, you're spot on. I, I I never thought about how strong Sweden was in that regard until sort of this interview for whatever bizarre reason. I hadn't thought about it. Period. But it's a it's an excellent point because it's again a lot of heavy hitters are in there. Yeah, and it's, I guess he also kind of refers, you know, like he's like, well, we start singing in English. And I wonder how much of that is a factor in bands. But there's like a lot of other countries people sing in English. In England, obviously. England. <laughs> I would hope, yeah. Well, England, there's no excuse for uh, the lack of impact they had in North America <laughs> at that time. True, good point. Um, but arguably, I mean, Leatherface, you could argue, had massive influence on some oh, like, yeah. hot water music. Oh. So therefore, you know, there's another one, right? But um, Leatherface, I think, is like one of those bands we were talking about earlier. Yeah, like, but I, like I, I still think like I would say, okay, Leatherface, maybe like, you know, that, that trumps 59 times the pain or maybe Satanic Surfers as far as like influence and stuff like that. But like the hives. And- yeah, if you're talking about like commercial breakthrough whatever yeah like, i mean sweden's but like how many bands were just influenced to be garage after the hives blew up oh exactly yeah totally that's another band that found their sound way later like they had yeah, ska songs in the beginning kind of good point yeah you're right their later records are, are much better in my opinion um but i don't know if my opinion i like those early ones a lot but i don't like i just think like for me they're they're sound they're whatever they're starting point to most people not just because it was a big record was that vd vd vicious oh yeah absolutely that was and so that's like what people think of like that's the signature of that group now going forward right not the the ones before (laughs) Mm -hmm. but yeah but then burning heart that's like a god not tonight fuck tonight (laughs) we should do it but i would that discography would be an interesting one to kind of go through yeah there's a lot of stuff i think one thing i want to make a note of though and I, I, I'm not sure if you'd agree. I would imagine so. But, like, I recall Satanic Surfers, like, in that mid-'90s, again, they weren't a band I knew a great deal of, but they were a band I always heard amazing things about. Like, people were into that group. Yeah. And so, although commercially, I would argue, they probably weren't. Maybe there they were bigger, but here they certainly weren't as big. But uh, Well, they, they, they came out. They were the first one to really tour here. Uh, they did the first Snow Jam. And it wasn't as successful as later snow jams would become. And I think they were also hindered by not being on a big North American label until later. Yeah, that could be. But I just remember like reading reviews even at the time of that group and it being like they were they were getting hyped like on the uh, sort of on a smaller scale. But they were oh, definitely, yeah. you know, so t- it sort of speaks again to this idea like – like some of the non-juggernaut commercial bands were definitely getting that attention too. Like in the mid '90s, like like this band for like whatever you want to say that Epifat sort of thing was getting major like hype in that era. I, I vividly remember it. Yeah, I think that I think the thing with Satanic Surfers was it was it came out later. Like you didn't really like. Well, no, sorry, they came out earlier. And they, yeah, they didn't have that like big North American label. Like Hero of Our Time wasn't released in North America. And also, the other thing about Satanic Surface is like they were a hardcore band. Like Rodrigo, the drummer, uh, who was the singer and the drummer, also yeah. did Intensity. He had another crust band. I can't remember his crust band. Uh, but he's been in a bunch of different stuff over the years. Like a total hardcore kid. And they, they like left. 
Uh, they, they like left Burning Heart Records when it started doing, blowing up and signed. Oh, they were on Theologian in North America. Yeah. Which might not have been as, you know, I- iconic as like a hopeless or, a, you know, great stuff came out on Theologian, but, you know, um, not that label, I guess, to get them to the next stage. Yeah, yeah, totally. It wasn't, it wasn't a vehicle like the other labels were. No. And then they, they left and they, you know, did bad taste records and, you know, I guess they'll do bad taste records, right? Son. That's their label. That's Satanic Surfers people. I think so, right? Or had some, definitely oh, some yeah. connection. Like the first records on bad taste, I remember getting, I remember Al Nolan from Trigger Happy was like, you know, there's this label, bad taste records. He had a bunch of stickers. Um, and I went and got a bunch of stickers from him of all these different bands like Intensity and and like yeah like yeah it definitely had some connection to Satanic Surfers. Okay. Pride Bull, Pride Bull was on there. <laughs> yes, yeah, one of your faves. One of my faves, <laughs> as we've learned from this show. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to find his other bands, but Intensity. Uh, Have you ever heard Intensity? No, I've heard that, but I was trying to find the other one you were mentioning. Uh, was it? Um, Controvers. I don't know. I see one Sewn Shut, but I don't know if that was him. Yeah, Sewn Shut was uh, his band too. What is I'm looking up stuff related to him for some reason. Someone's got it. He was one of the first people to ever buy a fucked up Sewn Inch. Huh. He has actually a couple copies of the thing because he bought a bunch with the with them or probably thrown them in the garbage or gotten rid of them by now. But uh with the photocopied sleeves of that you never see of the first seven inch. Does he have there's in his if you look up that that guy's entries and you go through everything Oh okay he did he record that first Andy Peterson seven inch? Or sorry, the second seven inch? Yeah, that would make sense, I guess, right? That's technical, but I don't know what that means in relation to but anyway, I was just I found that in here. I was like, what the hell? And he's got Grill Angra up here too. So he must have recorded some of this stuff. Yeah. Because uh, that what I don't know which one it is, but the Grill Angra one of their seven inches he's listed as a technical person on too. So I wonder if he started recording bands later too. Yeah, I guess he did. Well, he was, you know, he's like a real scene builder, like ran Putrid Filth Conspiracy record label for years until he closed it down. Has another record of Blood Harvest, I think is his new label. Yeah. Um, And so like, yeah, like here's someone who, you know, loves this music and is definitely committed to it. And now looks like a lot of metal too. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was really cool, really nice. And but I think the other thing that was going against him was it was a drummer singing. Yeah, I think we've uh, what was that? Snuff is the same, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's one of those weird. Yeah, I agree. It is. It's a strange. Um, yeah, people just cannot get into it for whatever reason. Well, and he was ju- amazing because have you ever seen those photos where he's jumping while he's playing drums? I have not. No. And then they came to Toronto, and he they, he eventually switched to become the lead singer of the band, like the actual singer. But I think did Satanic Surfers do a record on Deranged at some point? I don't think so. But you you would know better than me. Your label mates. No, I, no, <laughs> I definitely did some intensity stuff, but I I, I would. Uh, no, I think intensity maybe, but yeah, not as far as I'm aware. Not how so. sick would that be if they did? But no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I could have been label mates. Yeah, there you go. You fucked me again, Gord. Okay. <laughs> I think though that's a good uh I just wanted to point out because that was one of those bands where like again I vividly remember the name I remember people being really into it but they were not a band that I think is really like 
become a, or like went on to be a commercial thing like some of the other Swedish bands were, were discussing. That's all. No, it, I think they probably did there. And, and I think here they were kind of like, you know, not too punk, but like too punk. <laughs> yeah. You know, they were cool. Like they, I remember yeah. playing with them. That one of the first fucked up shows was opening for them. Really? Yeah. Wild. When we had those seven inches and he bought all those seven inches of that show. Yeah. That's crazy though. I never, yeah. Wow. Um, and he was like one of the few people really nice to us back then. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Including our friend, the promoter, you and Exile. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next point. What do you got? I think that was me who was that? took on 10 points. I don't know where you want to go. Yeah, that so- kind of just became like a million points in one. Um, yeah. I guess like Bad Religion's No Control as far as like one of those records that that like seems to have shifted people and that was like one of those records like we've been talking about that seems to keep coming up that, that one for me it's like it's a cool record but i don't that one never really had a, a major impact on well, me for whatever reason yeah but that would have been after the fact right like you and me discovering yeah. that record whereas i think at the time like it looks fucking weird for like a punk record at the time i i yeah I like, you know, not being around at that time, looking at punk records very much, but you know, like from contemporary pieces, it looks fucking bizarre. Well, it looks like, you know, some kind of like skateboarding thing of that era or something, the way the, the color. Yeah, you're probably right. Like it looks like a vision skateboard deck. Yeah. Like an 89. I don't know. It makes sense, but I mean, it's a, it's, it's a fine record, but it's just, it's not one for whatever reason that's ever been one that's had a huge impact on me i don't know why either like it's in the right era but yeah that one never never had a big thing for that record i liked uh well obviously the earliest stuff but i think i like suffer more and i think even against the grain i liked two more than that one yeah uh, this so, is have you have you seen have you been to the suffer discogs page because i actually suffered for me is the record that i like more but i think that's because i'm you know getting into it retrospectively yeah but, but yeah, there's a lot of versions. What about it? It says Suffer was the first album to be released and distributed by Epitaph. It has sold over four thousand copies, making it one of the label's best selling albums. Like that no way is that one of the label's best selling albums at four thousand copies. Yeah, it's gotta be higher than that. I think someone missed a zero maybe or two. Album sales, four thousand copies. <laughs> it sold less copies than the Asuk seven inch. <laughs> it sold less copies. No, someone missed someone missed a zero there. I think it has to be. Or this is an update from like eighty eight. Yeah, exactly. I bet you it is. It said, oh no, it says first release September eighty eight. Yeah. yeah. I bet you I don't know. Maybe that's from eighty eight. That would make sense in eighty eight. It makes sense in eighty eight. But it, not in, not in 2016. <laughs> no, no, certainly not in 2016. Even 88, I think that's like 4,000. There must have been record selling way more than 4,000 then. Yeah, but on their label, they say on their label. Yeah, that maybe at that point, but I don't know what numbers this is. Not no, enough. it's got to be a typo because then it says, "How can Elkin be any worse?" Uh, sold uh, originally 6,000 copies of that were pressed. <laughs> I don't know. And they needed 10,000 copies by the end of the year. And eventually it reached 12,000 copies. So that must be a typo. It must be 40,000. Yeah, 40, it's got to be something like that. It makes sense that those earlier ones would be, you know, the the big sellers, I would think. Yeah, but, and of course, Into the Unknown. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. How that's uh, how many of those do you think actually still exist? 
Because isn't that the one? Didn't they try to destroy them? Or yeah, they, they claim oh. they did, right? Um, yeah. And then they were returned, and you could apparently return them up to a couple years ago, and they give you your money back. Really? Not a couple years ago, but yeah. Wow, I never. There were only what, ten thousand pressed in the beginning. You know what the funny part is, though? Repressed in twenty ten. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Like now, it's like I F it off. Yeah. Yeah, like now they're like you own all your failures now. <laughs> it's like bad, it's not a bad record at all. Like I know people that still that's, never that's heard it. Bad religion record. I've still never heard it to this day. There are people that be like, "That's my favorite bad religion record." Wow. I've been reading about it for over a decade, and I've still never heard it. <laughs> um, and then it gave us Back to the Known, too. Their comeback record. When did they? When did that? Eighty-five. Know. That was like their comeback. With her, like, okay. Oh, it was uh, an EP. We yes. fucked up. Here we are. Yeah, it was an EP thing after. Yeah, yeah. okay. Because okay. I'm like, it's not under the LPs, but yeah, I don't know this one either. Uh, it's good. I guess my starting point, like, I knew the whatever when they reissued that. Whatever the hell could hell, how could hell the reissue? Obviously, I know that. But the yeah, suffer. I guess was probably the earliest point I got into that band. I got into them um, like around the time of uh, like Stranger Than Fiction was just about to come out. Yeah, yeah. And it was like a gr- I love that record. And then I was like never as big a fan as a lot of people around me. Yeah, I'd say I'm I'm similar. Like I like records, but Generator <laughs> for me was the one I liked the most of that time. That's kind of the record I got into first. But I think I, I thought I went all the way back originally, but probably not. Yeah, and just going back to uh, <laughs> our, our previous discussion, uh, I think uh, Bad Religion doing uh, White Christmas off this Christmas record <laughs> might also now be in a three way <laughs> dance with the Alkaline Trio covering Holocaust. And- <laughs> They did a whole Christmas record, Bad Religion. <laughs> what you're discussing, though, is there's two two things that actually exist and then one massive hypothetical. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, okay, yeah, that's true. <laughs> two things that actually exist. But one massive hypothetical that I'm going to try and make a reality, whatever it takes. <laughs> yeah, just to bum out everybody in the world. For yes. So let minutes. me make a movie just so I can score it and make that part of the soundtrack. <laughs> All right. Uh, but this is, Christmas uh, song record, like, how can Bad Religion have a record of Christmas songs? Yeah, it's weird. Oh, yeah, I never thought of that. Just it should that, be, yeah. like, all not. Like, hark the herald, herald angels sing, not. Oh, come all ye faithful, <laughs> not. Oh, come, when oh, did come they, not. When did they, uh, what year did they do that? 2013. Oh, okay. That makes complete sense. Yeah, it makes sense, like, it, from, like, a, oh, but like I mean, just like, isn't it the antithesis of Christmas? Like, it's because they're doing religious songs too. Well, well, maybe that's the irony of it. Yeah. Um, God rest ye merry gentlemen. <laughs> I got to hear this record. It can't. It can't. It can't be as awesome as, as it's sounding in my mind. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be able to find it on one of your streaming services if you try hard enough. I think I will. I think I'm going to be listening to this later on. Nah, I'm not going to listen to this tonight. <laughs> okay, let's move on. <laughs> All right. What else? So you brought up the Bad Religion No Control. I will go on. God, what do we want to talk about here? Um, oh, boy. I kind of touched on a bunch. Uh, I guess, though, well... It's mentioned in the thing, but I just want to say I love that first Mob 47 7-inch. Oh, God, yeah. 
Um, and also protest banked that other seven inch. Yeah. That we brought up that's connected. It's pair and the people from mob 47. And apparently they met at a Metallica show or something. There's like some crazy story about how they all met. Huh? That's on the, uh, it's on the CD reissue of it. That they put out a couple well, distortion records put out back in the nineties. So not yeah. that recently, but, uh, yeah, like they had some connection and it's pair from Bruce Banner's band. And yeah, the process bank is, you know, not, not mob 47 amazing, but it's good. Yeah. It's just funny. Like even, uh, what was the other one? Like the, of course the first anti-Symex, well, anti-Symex in general, but the earliest stuff too is great, which yeah. sort of got brought up in the interview a bit. But uh, I was very happy to hear that he was that interested. I don't know which one of them or both for that matter, but that they were that into that stuff. I'm still kind of floored. Oh, yeah. Like, well, that's the thing is it, it that's like, I guess, the national music almost, right? Like, like for punk, right? Like all that stuff would have been like what you'd be listening to at the time. Yeah, I guess. But it just seems like here, I don't know what the equivalent would be. You know, I mean, I guess like you just don't for me, it would be like you don't hear people you know, it, like, in, I don't know, maybe I'm generalizing, maybe in 2016 things are different, but I wouldn't assume that most of the sort of the, you know, quote unquote pop punk bands would be talking about how like great unruled is or something. Yeah. You know? Well, but like, you know, that's why they're like a cut above a lot of the pop punk bands. But yeah. Yeah. I'm not trying to no, absolutely no disrespect to their group or whatever. I'm actually amazed. I just, it's, it's not something I expected based on what I'm familiar with of their music and the scene that that band came out of. It mm-hmm. makes sense that they were in earlier stuff though that liked all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff, but yeah, just, yeah, I don't know. They are, they're like, I, I, Millen Collins always been one of my favorite bands. And I think it's like, cause you it just, that somehow comes through to me. Like even though sonically, it very different, very different yeah. than Mob 47 and stuff like that. But like, you know, like, you know, it, it's informed by it in some way. Yeah, I think actually the point we should talk about, which I don't know how we've avoided up till this point, but the the weird like mention of Afghan wigs being a huge influence. Yeah, but that makes sense, right? For where they would go, like song, like trying trying to be more melodic, writing more kind of like you know like more a more structured song than anything on raped ass. <laughs> yes, as exactly. far as a classic structure, I should say. But uh, I just think like it's such a strange, specific band to be like one of your major influences. But I think it's like you know they said a lot of bands were coming through, but it probably weren't as many coming through, like North American bands, right? Yeah, I like, no effects didn't come through till they played with them. Yeah, that's crazy. And like Bad Religion, I don't know if Green Day went there on those early tours, like before blowing up type thing which would have been kind of after they were going yeah so it's like i i don't know who they were seeing you know like you know they said like oh yeah bands would come through and i guess like there would be other european bands coming through too but like it wasn't like the a lot of the north american bands certainly the bands that they would wind up kind of being in the same sort of sonic ballpark as we're going through there at that point. yeah that, that could be that's an excellent point i i never like i guess when you think of the years Afghan wigs, it's showing here like 88, sort of, maybe a little earlier starting point. But so yeah, they were probably touring Europe by yeah. the early 90s. But I just think, I just, it's two bands I would have never put together in my brain at all. Yeah, no, I can see that. <laughs> I can definitely, but you know, that's the thing about this show. Hopefully we put together bands that you never put together in your brain. <laughs> there you go. 
I don't uh, know. I just I think it's a cool mention, though. I think Afghan Whigs are an interesting group, but I just, yeah, I would have not thought of them as a, a major influence on Millen for sure. Yeah, no, I think, I, well, Afghan Whigs are an incredible group, and also a band with a, a weird kind of punk connection, too. What's the punk connection? You have a you have a member connection, or you just mean like the sub pop? Oh, it's like kind of like adjacent, but no, they did like yeah. an earlier record. What label put up that early record now? Fuck. Ultra Suede is the first LP, if that's the one you're talking about. Yeah, and it's like on like a self release thing or something, or there's like they did a self release one too. Yeah, so the first two are kind of like pretty, but yeah, this first Ultra Suede. Oh, it's oh oh one, so it might have been their own thing. As yeah, well. they, they that's their self release thing on for that Ultra Suede record. Okay, that's a big money record, three hundred dollars. Well, there you go. I haven't heard that one. I'm only familiar with the kind of the later sub pop stuff. Yeah, I've never heard that record either. It looks uh, cool as hell. Yep. Yeah, and they self-released their cassette too and stuff. But like, I thought they had some. I guess that's it. Like connection to like someone was in some other old band or something. Well, I, I from Cincinnati. The, the thing, yeah, exactly. They're from Cincinnati, so that would be an interesting. Like connection well, was one. Who knows? There probably is something that I don't know. You know who would yeah, know? Dave Martin. <laughs> You <laughs> would, yes. Please email us if you know. <laughs> Sending out the bat signal, Dave. <laughs> All right. That was my point was Afghan wigs. You go on some. Uh, okay. I'm going to go on. Uh... Sorry, I'm now lost in the Afghan wigs uh, Discogs page. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, I guess for me – the next point I would go to is uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> we get so much stuff in that first massive point. Yeah, I think we touched on a lot of it, but whatever. Yeah, uh, I guess like maybe we should hit on. Well, I kind of do. I fuck it. Let's just end on Bernie Hart discography, Chris. <laughs> you want to do it? Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's get into this. No, well, it's, we're already over two hours. Yeah. Do they need it now? I don't, I don't think anyone wants this now. If you're listening to this now and you're like, fuck, you guys should have done the Burning Heart discography, write in and we'll do it next week and make next week a two-hour-plus show. But uh, <laughs> I think – I don't know. We hit so much stuff in that first point and it is – we are two hours in. So yeah. I think now is a good time to, to call it for this one. But that – yeah, like I love that opportunity. And I think if I got to sit down again with, uh, well, especially Frederick next time, we will go deep on Swedish hardcore. Yeah, it was good, man. I, I, if you're, I, for people like me who are interested in that sort of stuff, I was amazed at how much you, you touched on there. He did. Have you ever, and are you familiar with Snooze, Chris? No. Oh, you mean, sorry, the whatever it is, like that. Those dip bags that you put in your mouth? Yeah, like I don't. Obviously, I've never used it, but yeah, I'm vaguely familiar with what it is. Yeah, don't ever use it. <laughs> I don't plan on it. Okay, good. I just want to make sure you did. I didn't want you to be negatively influenced by all our talk about people doing it in Sweden. No, no, it didn't appeal to me so okay. much. No. Uh, yeah, no, this was a, a lot of fun, and, and hopefully, get to do part twos soon. Uh, cool with them. Uh, anyway, uh, I guess thank you everyone for listening. If you want to get in touch, please head over to DamianAbraham.com. There's an email address there or hit me up on various forms of social media, uh, at left for Damien. Uh, you can find this show and turned out a punk in general over on the turned out a punk Facebook page, the 
It's run by my brother, Tristan Abraham. He's also set up the turnedoutapunk.tumblr.com Tumblr page. And we post stuff on there. We will post a bunch of stuff that we've talked about today on there. So go check that out. And once again, if you enjoy this podcast, please write a review and rate it and subscribe to it and tell your friends about it because that helps make this better. And, uh, how do they get in touch with us though, Chris, if they want to send uh, us an email and contribute to the length of this show? <laughs> yes. Uh, turned out a punk footnotes at gmail.com. Yeah. And we will trudge through them next week and yammer on more about records that people haven't thought about. And yeah, but uh, that, that is that uh, next week on the show, Brick Smith. Uh, from, uh, you know, well, uh, formerly known as Brick Smith, but from the fall and she's, she's awesome. And it's an, it's a great episode and talk about a lot of cool stuff in that one. New York hardcore, Chicago hardcore, a lot of stuff for us to get into, Chris. Cool. Um, and, uh, also check out clobbering time with me and my friend, Tom Bryan doing a wrestling podcast, Gerard Cosloy, former owner of Homestead records, current co-owner of Matador records, former member of Gigi Allen's band is on to talk about none of that shit. He's on to talk about going to WrestleMania number one and going to the first ECW pay-per-view and a bunch of other shit that us wrestling fans love to hear about and stuff that probably means very little to you, Chris. No, no, I'm interested in it, but I just haven't, uh, I admittedly, I told you I haven't listened to them yet, but I do plan on getting into it. Well, no, you know what? If you didn't listen to it, Chris, I wouldn't be that offended because like, you know, it, it, it's a little, uh, it's a little, a little wrestling heavy. No, that's fine. I like wrestling fine. Okay, Chris, then you listen to it. I'm going to expect a, a full <laughs> review next week on the show. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but that's it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Anything else you want to add, Chris? Nope. Okay. Bye, everyone.